Welcome back to Second and Short. It is January 4th, 2022. It is our first episode of the new year. So happy new year. And um, we're just going to go ahead and get it started. It's the biggest news story in sports right now. Um, it is the tragic injury uh, that DeMar Hamlin suffered in Monday Night Football. Um, so just to kind of set the scene... It was about 8.55, I believe, when it happened. Um, Yeah, 8.55. T. Higgins catches a pass, runs across the middle. DeMar Hamlin uh, comes from the safety position across the field and kind of meets him, goes to tackle him, and kind of braces for impact and picks his arms up a little bit to tackle. And then T. Higgins made helmet, like, I think it was either his helmet or his shoulder pad, makes contact with his chest. And then um, they kind of just fall into the ground together. And Damar stands up and then kind of looks around and collapses to the ground. And um, the medical staff and trainers all immediately ran onto the field. And it, with an urgency that I've never really seen in an NFL game uh, with an injury. Yeah, I was watching that game live, and I—I I mean, I have to agree. I've never—I mean, you know, we—I've seen terrible injuries, terribly. Yeah, I mean, you just saw in the as soon as they get hit, you know, they tore something, broke something. But I've never seen an NFL uh, staff or any staff like, as a matter of fact, run so quickly onto the field. I mean, as soon as he stood up uh, and fell right back down, you—you you knew there was something terribly wrong. And I mean, very good job by the trainers and everyone involved with their response and getting out there. Yeah, and so the team, um, the the Bills team, kind of made a a wall around him while the medical staff uh, administered CPR. Um, I, I believe it took about nine minutes of CPR, and then um, we find out later that. He had a pulse as they took him into the ambulance when it pulled onto the field. Um, he was then transported to the University of Cincinnati Medical Center. And um, then the whole kind of, you know, the rest of the game was in turmoil from there. Uh, and we'll get into that a little bit later. Uh, I just really want to keep this about DeMar because this whole thing, you know, it comes down to it's not about football. Uh, it's not about the game that was being played or, or what that game meant. It, it's about this young man's health. Uh, a 24-year-old in his second season in the NFL, you know, living his dream, something that he's worked for his entire life. And at the moment, you know, we don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, um, it, it's just terrible how... I mean, it is such a violent sport. I think people tend to forget that with football is it is very violent and a number of things could happen any given any given football game. And uh, I mean, that's just it's so crazy to think something just a hit like that can cause you to I, I, obviously as of right now, we don't know what the cause was and we won't know that for a while. But I mean, just to basically stop your heart just from a hit, that is crazy to think and. Something I do want to say is not only, uh, I mean, very much keep uh, Damar and everybody's thoughts and their prayers, but also uh, T. Higgins. Being on the other side of that hit, it's always terrible. Uh, thinking you cause that is, is so bad. So I, 
I hope the best for everybody involved in the situation. And I know that, uh, you know, I, I believe if you're hopeful, you, you believe that everybody will pull through, especially tomorrow. Yeah. And I kind of want to get, you know, a little bit of your story um, that does have to do with a sports related injury that, you know, put you in, uh, I believe, critical condition. Is that right? That is correct. I did almost die uh, from my, my injury. Yeah. And, and so um, I, I do want to know kind of what the reaction was to it. Uh, I wasn't there. Um, uh, obviously, you were incoherent, but um, maybe give a rundown of what happened and you know what maybe you remember or people have explained to you from that night. Um, to me, I was in my injury. I was awake the whole time. I was in a state of shock, so I I can remember most everything that happened. Um, you know, I was a a discus thrower in high school. Uh, I walked out to go pick up a discus, and you know, everybody knows these discus. They're about probably what would you say about seven, eight inches across, probably maybe yeah. eight, weighing a little over a pound, probably two to three pounds, something like that. And uh, you know they get thrown, they get launched through the air, and as I go out to pick up a discus, one of my buddies down the down the stretch didn't see me, so as I um bent over to pick it up. They yelled for me to uh, go down, but I didn't hear them say drop. I, so I stood up. I stepped right into the discus, hit me directly in the uh, temple. Thank goodness it hit me there. The doctor said if it hit me anywhere else on my head, I would have been dead on impact. They said uh, if it would have uh, quite literally, they said if I was a centimeter, if it was a centimeter to uh, further up, further down, either side, I would have immediately died on impact. But they said, fortunately, it hit me there, and uh, I guess you could say a sweet spot. It um, shattered my skull, bruised my brain. Fortunately, I was very healthy in a time. I was a wrestler, so I just got off a wrestling season. I was uh, in pretty good shape. So since being in good shape, the doctor said, is what helped me the best in my not only uh, uh, helping with the injury when it happened, but also in my healing process. Um, but when I yeah so as I got hit immediately my coach ran to me uh held me down because the last motion my brain told the rest of my body to do was to stand up so I was fighting trying to stand up but obviously I was uh, you know my half of my skull was shattered in completely um there was blood everywhere and my coach had to hold me down my all everyone else I was at practice with, they went, got the trainers. The trainers responded uh, immediately, uh, put a pressure on the wound, did everything they could. Fortunately, uh, I, since it was a head wound, it was bleeding uh, tremendously. So they had to, uh, they kept running through the gauze and, the, and everything they had to clot it. So fortunately, a referee who was going in for a soccer game uh, let us use his sweatpants to try and clot it, which helped a lot. And with that, uh, they were able to do that. And every every few seconds or so, they would ask me, you know, the questions: What's your name? Where are you? What's the date? You know, ex who am I? Who are they? I was talking, I was responsive. Uh, my football coach at the time too came over. Uh, me and him had a, he kept me very calm, had a very normal conversation with me. We talked about football, uh, the thing I love the most. So. 
he came over to keep me calm and they kept asking me questions. I was responsive. Uh, the ambulance got there very quick. <laughs> of course, in the time it felt like it was hours, but they said it was within only a few minutes. The ambulance got there. They, um, loaded me in. I was awake to the ambulance ride to Kennestone hospital, uh, where as soon as I got to Kennestone hospital, uh, Dr. William Benedict was on call. One of the top, neurosurgeons in the nation i believe he's the highest paid in the nation uh he was on call took my uh took my case and i remember uh they wheeled me off the gurney through the uh hallway and it, just like in a uh, tv show or movie you know he's there's like eight different nurses and doctors and he's calling off orders all this and so that was crazy that and uh, it was as similar to a TV show or movie, but you know, it's a new story. Uh, he brought me in, they did x-rays, saw the injury. He went in, removed the section of the skull that was injured or sorry, the section of the skull that was shattered, uh, which was, uh, he's, uh, at the time he said it was, uh, slightly impulsive, but, uh, as time progressed, it he said it was the best thing that could have happened that he could have done because, uh, the discus went through, hit my brain, which caused my brain to swell. And since there was the hole in my skull, my brain was able to swell and expand uh, without uh, causing any more brain damage or anything. And uh, it helped me, it actually helped me uh, recover faster as well. But uh, I mean, the worst part about a sports injury for any athlete has to be um, the injury course is terrible, but it's the recovery process and not being able to do what you're used to doing, what you love doing. And, and, you know, after, fortunately for me, uh, I was supposed to be in the hospital for, they said a bare minimum 12 months. They were expecting at least 18 months to two years, uh, in like the real hospital and an I, uh, ICU and like normal patient room. But, Fortunately, after one month in the ICU, I was able to move out to uh, COA, uh, Children's Hospital of Atlanta, where I did intensive in the, uh, in the hospital rehab. And then, oh, sorry, actually, it was only three weeks in ICU. Then I moved to COA for two weeks for intensive and in the hospital rehab. Then they released me to go to intensive rehab that I would drive to every day. Not me personally driving, of course. But uh, my family member driving me to rehab every day where I had to, in this whole process, by the way, I had to completely relearn how to talk, how to walk, how to do simple things like brushing my teeth, how to eat. I didn't know how to chew. I couldn't write. I mean, the worst thing ever is not being able to communicate. And fortunately, they said, uh, I mean, I, I was out of there within a month and a half. Uh, they said one of the, <laughs> they said it was insanely quick and. I mean, very fortunate my body and everything uh, helped me heal quickly. But the biggest thing is you, you recover very quickly physical, but it's the mental aspect that you're not prepared for. Because, I mean, all I want to do is get back out on the football field. And, uh, of course, you know, with a traumatic brain injury like I had, you cannot um, go back to playing football. Or, or like I said, I was also a wrestler. cannot go back to wrestling. And so I had to just get used to being – on the sidelines, helping everybody else out. And fortunately for me, that helped me learn what I want to do with my career path. Yeah. And look, I wanted you to tell your story and 
you know, let the listeners know that, you know, this is something that you've gone through and it's something that, you know, the everyday person, you know, has the opportunity or, or the, the chance of going through. Uh, Sports-related injuries happen every day. And, you know, just because we've, you know, sat here and talked about, um, you know, your honestly inspiring and, and quick recovery and successful recovery um, we're not trying to, you know, use it as a way to say anything about Demar's situation, but simply just because, you know, you can relate to what it feels like to almost have, you know, everything in your life at the time was taken from you, and, and that, that is a possibility. Every time you step out onto a football field, that's a possibility. And you know, obviously, it's not what we want to think about. It's not what the players want to think about they want to go out there and live their dream. And that's exactly what tomorrow was doing. It's just such unfortunate circumstances that this is, you know, what happened. Yeah. I think this is something that uh, we as viewers and even playing the sport, we always forget, especially in the sport of football. It is one of the most violent sports you can do and injuries and terrible accidents like this can happen and do happen all the time so people need to really make sure you can just keep an eye out for any at any level you're playing to just be careful and pay attention yeah and i think as as football fans and sports fans alike we just need to wait and, and just see what happens uh obviously you know your thoughts and prayers need to be going out to demar's family um, there, there's obviously people showing support. Um, he had a fundraiser going on, uh, the chasing M's foundation community toy drive. Uh, a couple people found it, uh, and, and shared it through, uh, throughout social media and it just kept going. And I know when I had checked it, um, the first time it was around probably over a hundred thousand something donations. Uh, the goal was only 2,500. Um, and it is now uh, at the time of the recording. It's at five point seven million, almost five point eight million dollars. Um, there's one hundred ninety four thousand donations, uh, some huge donations. Uh, even just in, in the last hour since I pulled this up the first time, Robert Kraft and, and the New England Patriots donated eighteen thousand. Uh, Matthew Stafford, Russell Russell Wilson, Tom Brady. Um, Devontae Adams, the Washington Commanders, and, and the list goes on uh, of, you know, just notable people, but even just, you know, everyday people giving their money, uh, just lists and lists of names of people donating their money to this and Damar's family and, and whoever's uh, on his team organizing this uh, GoFundMe page uh, sent out an update saying that this fund is now being used for the Hamlin family and working on, you know, everything associated with what's going on. Um, we saw that his mom was in attendance and um, she rode in the ambulance with him to the hospital. And there's a ton going on with this situation that we, like you said earlier, we take for granted. Um, I know like Ryan Clark um, made a huge point that really hit with me uh, when he was on with Scott Van Pelt last night, um, shortly after the injury, where he said that, you know, we talk about a lot, and especially in football, that, you know, you would die for this game and, and you would put your life on the line 
for this game. And when that is actually in question, we we don't realize that, that that's truly in the question uh, often, you know? Every NFL player doesn't step on the field thinking today's the day that this is going to happen, and they shouldn't. This is something that we've never seen before, at least from a, a reaction standpoint. And like, as a viewer watching this game, I was at work. I was just—I happened to be looking at the TV at the front, and and I saw it happen. And I'm standing next to my manager, and we're like, "Oh my god! Like, what just happened?" And then it just kept developing. Um, Brock, I do want to kind of get your opinion on, or, or not really your opinion, but your input um, when it comes to, like, what what did it look like for the people around you uh, when this happened? Because obviously, you know, you're not the only one that is going through this. Um, you know, your family, your friends, we're all along for the ride. Um, yeah. That's what was their immediate reaction? That was something I did want to point out. Uh, I'll get to the point I'll make in a minute. But uh, for my family responses, my family, very thankful. Uh, they were <laughs> they got a very calming uh, phone call. My mom, they're all in the car together. Uh, they were coming to pick me up from practice or something. I can't recall. They were to- all together for some reason. And uh, they were like, uh, yeah, all but my sister who was uh, working in Memphis at the time, and they um they were they got a very calming phone call from I can't recall I I know uh, the trainer at one point Alex he called them but I can't remember if he t- called him first or uh, I think a secretary called my mom first and hey uh, <laughs> very calming because hey uh, just want to give you a heads up uh, Brock is mo- is being transferred to the hospital nothing big. Um, right now, you know, just y'all might want to start making your way down to Kennestone. So my mom took that, you know, oh, that's crazy, whatever. We'll just, um, well, he's getting some stitches, you know, she goes, he's at track. What's, what do you do? Trip while running and cut open his leg or something? That does sound like a Brock thing to do. Yeah. You know, uh, sometimes I, I start screwing around and do some, something stupid. And so then she gets a phone call from after she gets all the family together and they're heading down, uh, she gets another phone call from the trainer, uh, a little more, you could tell there was a little more, um, uh, he was way more nervous because obviously he just dealt with the worst act injury accident he ever dealt with uh, in his life, as he tells us, uh, when he tells us the story. But uh, he, a little more shaken, but he still tells him, hey, uh, Rock's in the ambulance going to Kennestone. Y'all need to get there uh, as soon as possible. Um and he was way more shaken. The stories I heard from him and other people around there is uh, after he the ambulance took me away, he literally had to step away. And they said he threw up uh, f- several times because he, I guess he was so high stressed and was so nervous that he didn't, uh, body didn't know what to do. Um, with everyone else there, uh, the accounts from all my friends whom I heard from other people telling it, just overheard. They never really sold me until more recently. Uh, they all thought I died. Um, obviously, very bloody, very bad. Um, so, I mean, my parents didn't know until they got to the hospital. Uh, our administrator at the time, Mr. Nix, was there. 
along with my uh, track coach, uh, Coach Stafford. They were both there. Um, my parents walked in. They said they're about to talk, and then my doctor said, "Are you the parents?" And then handed them a uh, handed them a flyer and said, "We need you to sign this immediately." He's going to emergency brain surgery. My parents go, "Oh, oh my goodness." Um, okay, they signed it. Uh, they're in a state of shock. They don't know what to do. Um, sit down with Mr. Nix. He was very calming, calmed them down, you know, very level-headed with them and the rest of my family. Uh, my coach, Coach Stafford, who was there, witnessed the whole thing. Uh, they said he was uh, shook to his boot. I mean, they said he, he was – he wouldn't leave because he wanted to make sure I was okay, but they said he – couldn't even move he was just so freaked out and so panicked and i i respectfully understand i would i i totally get it and um i mean just seeing the reactions of everybody it's a terrible situation not only for yourself because i mean for when it's you you know you're just fighting for yourself trying to make it through but for the people around you it is it is quite terrible as well because they have to see you in the situation and see you almost helpless seeing you not being especially i'm assuming uh he was very act i mean he was an nfl player very active very he seemed to be a very good loving person who had a lot of joy and love in his heart um as do i and they say when you someone especially someone like this where you see him in a situation where they cannot help themselves not do anything it it's it's one of the worst things because all you want to do is help and there's just nothing you can do and i mean I can't imagine because I, I only saw the pictures, but I couldn't imagine um, what his mom. I mean, thank the good Lord above. My parents were not uh, at my track practice that day, but I could not imagine what his mother um, was going through in those times, seeing her baby boy, you know, take just what looked to be a normal hit and just try and, you know, stand up, fall right back down and know something is wrong. And having to, you know, put on a brave face, get in the ambulance, go to the hospital and help make. And I mean, he's an adult, but she's the, I'm assuming the next of kin or whatnot. And having to take, make, make all the decisions and everything for him uh, in this situation. I, I could not imagine that. And it's those people, um, I mean, his teammates, everybody, friends, being there. Be, having to witness that and for him especially i mean he will probably see this video many times in his life and it's probably not going to be the best thing ever because it was recorded i again was very fortunate not to have a video of my injury but him being a professional sports player it was broadcasted to the nation and i mean he will have to see it again i just can't imagine that yeah it it's obviously something that, um, you know, hopefully he does make it through everything. And at the moment, um, he his heartbeats restored. Um, I, I believe that they put him under to um, put a breathing tube in, and he still remains in critical condition. But yeah. Um, you know, if he does make it through, it's going to be something that is obviously difficult to handle. I think for every football player now, now that you've seen that this is even, you know, something that could happen, it's going to shake up everyone. Yeah, it definitely makes you think twice before you go out on a practice, go out in the game, just saying like, whoa, 
what if this happens to me? What's going to happen to me and my family? You know, what's going to happen to the people around me? How is this going to affect us? And I think, and I really hope this helps people put it in perspective and just know, like, yeah, like, this is a dangerous sport. And so sometimes, you know, there are all are those hits you think you want to, just those little cheap hits, oh, let's do it. And you're like, maybe I shouldn't do it, you know? Because you don't want to be the player, you know, to give someone a crazy uh, injury like this, you know, just because you just because you want to get extra hit or something. Not saying he either one did. It was very clean hit, very clean play. But you know, it makes you put things into perspective a little more. The one the one thing I do I would like to say is I I do love that the Bills players will put a wall around him on the field, especially now in the day of age where everything's being filmed and the cameras are obviously trying to get a video of what's going on. And then of course the Cincinnati Bengals coming out uh, a little after it helping uh, create that wall uh, on the other side. That is something that should not be shared. What's going on in that situation should not have been shared with anybody else. So I am very, very happy how they uh, shielded it around and blocked it off from the world. Yeah. I think that, that is, you know, uh, it's amazing to see. It, it's one of, you know, the. I, it's hard to say that there's any good moments um, that have come out of this, but uh, the unity um, that we've seen across the board, uh, whether that be uh, the Bills players, um, the Bengals and Bills players kind of coming together on the field, um, Zach Taylor and Sean McDermott uh, coming together talking it out, figuring out, you know, what needs to happen. And it, it like at some point it appeared that they were going to start playing again. It, it's seemed like at least from the broadcast and everything else, they had kind of, they'd cut to Joe Buck and Troy Aikman. They put the score ticker down on the bottom. Like it looked like they were going to resume. And then you see, Zach Taylor, Sean McDermott meeting up with the refs and, and just putting an end to it. They weren't going to play. Yeah. They, sh- they should not have been playing after that. It, you can't play after something like that. I mean, even just from my injury, I know the day I was, I had a track meet the next day, and I remember my team not going to it because when you see something like that, you, you can't wrap your head around. Like, it's so hard no matter what the death is for someone to wrap their head around death because death is way out of our league. And it is just, you, you could not, if they would have gone back out on the field, that would have been a failure of the NFL. And I understand the NFL is a business and they have things to do. And it was a very, and it was a very important game or whatever. But after something that crazy to happen, you could not have allowed any one of those players to go back out on that field where something like that has happened. That would have been that that would have I I don't even know. I, I have very few words. I I mean, my opinion obviously doesn't matter, but if they would have gone back out on the field, I, I couldn't have watched the game. I mean No. And none of the players know. obviously could play the game. I mean they were you can't watch someone have a near death experience right there and expect them two minutes later to go back out and play a football game. I'm sorry, this is not war. It's a game. At the end of the day, 
this isn't this is a business whatever but at the end of the day it is a football game big emphasis on game where people go out to have fun to pass the time and it just so happens they can make a living doing off of it yeah and i i think that'll kind of wrap up what we need to say um here of course um once again our thoughts and prayers go out to Demar Hamlin and the whole Hamlin family and anybody close to the situation. Yeah, well, 100%. I will continue through even through his whole recovery. People need to uh, keep them all in their thoughts and prayers because it is a long, long journey. Yep. And over here uh, through second and short, um, we'll, we'll keep everybody updated on what's going on. Um, I'll I'll be posting on the Twitter if we get any more news um, and if anything comes out uh, between um, Tuesday night at 11 p.m. as we're talking and uh, Thursday night uh, when we record Friday's episode uh, with Luke, um, we will keep you updated on all that. Um, so let's try and uh, get into the main content of today's podcast. Uh, I know that dragged on for a little while, but it, it needed to be said. Uh, we're going to run through uh, just the final scores in the NFL uh, because obviously the NFL right now, it's not the football that matters. Um, all that we should be focused on is DeMar Hamlin. So we'll just run through final scores um, and uh, any playoff uh, stipulations that occurred uh, throughout these games. So we'll start off Cowboys-Titans Thursday night football. The Cowboys take it 27-13. Uh, and then we get into Sunday's games. The Falcons beat the Cardinals 20 to 19. The Lions beat the Bears 41-10. And that kept the Lions in playoff contention. The Chiefs beat the Broncos 27-24. The Patriots beat the Dolphins 23-21, uh, which kept the Patriots in playoff contention. And they're currently in the seventh seed. Uh, the Giants beat the Colts 38-10, and that game clinched the sixth seed for the Giants uh, with the win uh, due to their tie with the Commanders earlier this season. The Saints beat the Eagles 20-10. to uh, This um, The Saints were eliminated after the win uh, due to the Buccaneers' win over the Panthers. Um, the Panthers, uh, or Buccaneers beat the Panthers 30-24. to uh, The Panthers were eliminated due to this. And the Buccaneers clinched the NFC South and the fourth seed. The Browns beat the Commanders 24-10. to uh, The Commanders are eliminated due to the loss. Plus, um, the Packers win, Seahawks win, and Lions win. All occurring. Only one of those needed to happen for the Commanders to be eliminated. And then the Jags beat the Texans 31-3. The Packers beat the Vikings 41-17. The 49ers beat the Raiders 37-34, which eliminated the Raiders from the playoffs. The Seahawks beat the Jets 23-6. The Jets were eliminated from playoff contention from that loss. The Chargers beat the Rams 31-10. The Steelers beat the Ravens 16-13. And the Steelers stay in playoff contention following that win and the Dolphins' loss. And the Last game that would have happened was Bills Bengals uh, on Monday Night Football, and, and this is where I kind of want to talk about um, what has happened with the status of this game happening. Um, obviously, Monday night, uh, I think it was around midnight that we fully learned that it would not be played uh, that night. Um, 
obviously the game was suspended. Now it has been indefinitely indefinitely postponed. Uh, we don't know of a date. Um, it, it's said that they won't be playing this week. Um, not sure what that quite means um, for scheduling. Obviously, um, it's not the priority in this situation, but um, week 18 coming up, um, I'm not really sure what's going to happen, and we'll just have to wait. Yeah, obviously, <laughs> I don't get paid to make these decisions. Uh, I mean, I honestly have no clue what you do in this situation because it's not even like it was a game like a, a you know, a the Eagles playing the dang like Houston Texans or someone, you know, it, it was a it was, it was a important game, but obviously, you know, the events that transpired transpired way, way outweigh a football game. It's very, it's way more important to handle that, and then they can move on. Um, you know, we'll we'll of course see and uh, figure out what all the NFL decides to do here. But um, that'll do it for the NFL. Uh, let's get into some bowl game recap. Um, just try and lighten the mood a little bit. Um, we'll start it out uh, Wednesday, the 28th, I believe. Uh, Oregon beats UNC 28-27 in the San Diego County Credit Union Holiday Bowl. Uh, any initial thoughts from this one? Um. I'm honestly a little disappointed in Oregon. UNC is a good team, do not get me wrong, but I thought Oregon was a much superior team. I was expecting at least, you know, win by 10 points or so. But, I mean, that was a close game. I mean, did you, uh, the one thing I do want to point out, do you remember that interception they had, uh, UNC oh, had? Dude, that was ridiculous. He, like, what? So it hits off of the player's calf for either the – Defender for UNC, right? It hit off of his calf. And yeah. Then, yeah, so it bounces up, not far up in the air. And it hits uh, the UNC, uh, the other player for UNC right behind them, kicks the ball up off of his foot and just barely grabs it, like right before it hits the ground for the interception. And, and like I've never seen something like that close as an interception. Yeah, that is one of the craziest interceptions I, I think I've ever seen. I mean, it, I'm sure there's some other ones people, people could bring up, but that's at least top five I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, that was ridiculous. Um, Oregon, uh, their offense did look good. Um, it, it just seemed like they couldn't really finish it. Uh, Bucky Irving, the running back, had 13 carries, 149 yards, and two touchdowns. That is a great performance, um, yeah. especially in an offense run by. Uh, it's a little bit more pass-heavy with Bo Nix at the helm, who didn't have a bad game at all. 23 for 30, 205, two touchdowns and an interception. But, yeah, like you said, I expected Oregon to run it up a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, this sounds like I'm hating on uh, North Carolina, but like North Carolina is a good team, and I've 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 I believe I've had high praise for them this year, but I don't know. I just thought Oregon was a more superior team, especially uh, after these last, I believe, three losses North Carolina's had in a row. Uh, I mean the Clemson game. As soon as Clemson switched that quarterback, North Carolina's defense just gave in completely. 
And then same with the uh, NC State. I thought they had it, but they gave up the comeback and lost. So I was expecting Oregon's uh, offense just to be much better than North Carolina defense and score score more. But you know it's bowl season, and bowl games at the end of the day are for fun and for the players to have fun. So you know sometimes you see little crazy things. Yeah, uh, and we definitely saw a crazy thing in the Arkansas-Kansas game. Oh my Arkansas God. beats Kansas 55-53 <laughs> triple overtime thriller in the AutoZone Liberty Bowl. And Jalen Daniels for Kansas. Oh my God, what a stat line. 37 for 55, 544 passing yards, five touchdowns, two interceptions, also had 21 yards on the ground and a rushing touchdown. I mean, this game, I can I vividly remember. I'm getting ready to go work the Ole Miss Texas Tech uh, Texas Bowl game, and I look. It's halftime. I'm at the game. What last time I looked at the score? Last time I get to see a TV, it is I believe it's 35 to three going into halftime, or score somewhere around. It that was uh, 35 to uh, 13. 35 to 13 going into halftime. Last score I see. I turn to my buddy and go, this game's over. Next thing I know, halfway through the game, I get a notification on my phone. Uh, or I'm at the Ole Miss game, get a notification on my phone. Arkansas, Kansas going to overtime. I was like, what the what? <laughs> Excuse me, what's going on? Arkansas gave up a 20 point lead. Yeah, I would. It- I would. <laughs> It was insane. And then for Arkansas, KJ Jefferson had a insanely good game. 19 for 29, 287, two touchdowns and an interception, but he also had 14 carries, 130 rushing yards and two touchdowns. That is it, it, the quarterback play on both sides was ridiculous. And then on top of that, Arkansas had Rashad Dub- Dubinian, I think that's how you say it. I think that's how the broadcaster said it. Um 20 carries, 112 uh, two touchdowns, and A.J. Green, their other running back, 13 carries, 99 yards, and a touchdown. Like, this was the most insane offensive game I've seen in a long time. Yeah, Arkansas has one of the better rushing attacks in college football, not only from their running backs, but as you said, that quarterback, K.J. Jefferson, he is he he's one heck of a quarterback. I mean, he may not make the best throws, but when he, you need him to throw a ball, it's going to be good and it's going to be a pretty ball. Yeah, it, this was overall just an insanely good game. And then um, we'll get into Texas Tech. Beats Ole Miss 42-25 in the Tax Sack Texas Bowl. And Brock, you were there. Uh, I didn't have much of an opportunity to watch this one. So uh, feel free, just give me what you got. I was there, yeah. Um... Uh, I mean, it just kind of looked to me like uh, the Ole Miss team wanted was kind of in this game to have fun. Like I said earlier, bowl games are meant for fun. It it appeared to me like you know they they came here to have fun and they enjoyed themselves until the bowl game and they realized oh we got to play football is almost what it felt like. But um, it just same issue as most of the year uh, running just not being able to finish drives or not being able to start up drives just. The offense kind of just looked meh. There were a lot of moments of hope, of hope, them looking very good. And, you know, 
connecting the ball, but overall it just looked like a very sad offensive performance. I mean, when your defense creates, I believe it was three turnovers and you score zero points off of those three turnovers. I mean, you, you just can't do that. So um, definitely, uh, hopefully this offseason, uh, Ole Miss can address a lot of the issues we need and uh, we'll be able to reload next year. They have, I mean, Quinchon Juckins is returning, Jackson Dart, Ulysses Bentley, who didn't get a lot of playing time this year due to injury mostly. But uh, both them will be returning, along with several good, uh, rec- uh, several good running back recruits we have coming. I believe we have two, uh, four stars. I could be wrong. I believe, and maybe it's only one four star uh, running back. Uh, we we are losing uh, two wide receivers, but we're also you know got a couple good uh, recruits in the portal. Uh, recruits coming in from high school as well as we have a couple uh, of the receivers receivers who got playing time all season coming back. Uh, defensively, though, um, I hope we get some more guys in the portal to come over and because uh, we definitely need some more. We got to get some, rush, some pressure on that quarterback this upcoming season, and I'm excited to see how we target the portal and high school, uh, high school prospects this offseason. Yeah, and one thing that really surprised me with this game, at least for the Ole Miss side, was how much they threw the ball. I feel like I haven't seen Jackson Dart throw 41 passes much, if at all, this entire season, and it wound up getting him three interceptions. Yeah, there was um, – the one thing I'll say about Jackson Dart, because i you know, I got to be a little careful. Um, Jackson Dart, great – has a lot of potential – He's very young, and I think people tend to forget that, especially Ole Miss fans, you know. After going from the year Matt Corral had last year, uh, you know, one of the best in Ole Miss quarterback history, I mean, he had one great season. But, you know, you go from a quarterback like that to a very young and inexperienced quarterback, there's that learning curve. And what people forget is when Matt Corral came in his first season, he had two games or he threw six interceptions in both games. <laughs> and I think people tend to forget that. So it takes time for Lane Kiffin and Charlie Wise to get with Jackson Dart and get him. Com- he's more, he's comfortable. I would say he's comfortable now, but he needs to learn, get more comfortable in the pocket. You know, with him being younger and especially coming from a Pac 12 where he doesn't have to go against top tier defenses every game, you know, he needs to have a. You work on his pocket awareness, work out, work on his checkdowns, a lot of that. And that just comes with time and experience. For a young quarterback, I think Jackson Dart did very well this year. Yeah, I think he did. Um, obviously, this game, like he still had a good game outside of the turnovers. Uh, 361 uh, in the air, two touchdowns. That's solid. Um, the, the one thing I do want to ask you about, though, before we move on, is what happened on that onside kick? I'm trying to remember. The onside kick that Texas Tech took back at the end of the game? Oh, oh! I left by that point. <laughs> My friend, she had to drive back home to Dallas that night. So she said, hopefully we're winning or losing by eight minutes left in the game because I got to go. But um, I did not get to see that. What? Oh, Lordy. It was I bad. 
Uh, well, good thing I do film for the team so I can go rewatch it when I get back to Oxford. Like, it looked, for some reason, it looked like the Ole Miss guys thought they were just going to kick it off, but the kicker just had something else in mind. And they Texas Tech guy literally picked it up and just immediately ran forward and just ran right past all of the Ole Miss players and took it to the house. You know, sometimes there's some miscommunication, and, you know, that happens. It's, uh, it, it, you know, it just happens. People have miscommunication. All right. Well, let's get into the games from Thursday, uh, the 29th, I think. 29th. Um, yes. I just I have to start it out with uh, Florida State, Oklahoma. Florida State gets the win. 35-32, and this was honestly a great game to watch. It it was – Oklahoma took an early lead. Uh, they had a 17-11 to um, lead going into the half. Florida State comes out in the third. They score a touchdown, goes into the fourth quarter, and it is 17-19 um, uh, Florida State. And Florida State – ends up edging it out just or sorry 17 18 and florida state uh ends up winning it by three uh by the end of the game and dude this one was close all the way to the end but there were some standout performances uh jordan travis had uh, one of the most ridiculous performances i've seen this year uh 27 uh, for 38, 418 in the air, two touchdowns, one interception, also had 50 yards on the ground. Um, what did you think about this game? Um, I'm very impressed uh, with Oklahoma. I mean, one thing with bowl season, I said it earlier, is a lot of teams tend to come to bowl games for fun, and they treat it as a vacation for fun, which I, I don't blame them. You get, just about everything gets paid for for you, so why not have fun and enjoy it? And, you know, there are some bowl games. I, I, I believe the bigger bowl games, like bowl, uh, New Year's Six, uh, it used to be the Outback Bowl, but now it's the Reliquist Bowl, I believe. Cheez-It Bowl tends to be pretty big. But uh, some of these bowl games, I believe, you should take it a little more seriously because, I don't know, they just seem to be slightly more important, but not really. But Oklahoma obviously came out to play. And that's something you see a lot in bowl season is – the team usually the team that's six and six, not supposed to be in the bowl game. They want to prove something, and they have, and they're going to come out and play. And obviously, you see here, Oklahoma wanted to play and prove, hey, we deserve to be up here along with everybody else. Just because you know we lost all these transfers, or whatever, we had a, a poor season in comparison to the last few years. We're still a good team, and we want to show it to somebody. And I mean, they look, they had a pretty good game, and. Uh, I, I'm very impressed because that is not what I, what I was expecting. I honestly thought we we spoke about it earlier uh, in earlier weeks is this was more of a disrespect. This was disrespecting Florida State and whatnot, but um, obviously it was a good matchup at the end of the end of the day. Yeah, I, I was very surprised by Oklahoma's offense. Um, I haven't seen many of those super fast paced offenses like. Seemed like the camera crew couldn't even keep up with them. And it reminded me a lot of Oregon with Mariota, with Chip Kelly coaching that team, where, like, you couldn't even get set on defense. Like, you couldn't even 
<clears throat> excuse me, couldn't even find your guy. Like they move quick, and I think that is kind of the reason that they had two hundred plus rushers in the game. Yeah, I mean that's what all that's something you'll get with the Jeff Levy offense out there. Uh, I, I really wish Jeff Levy never would have left Ole Miss. He, he's I really like him. I really think he has a bright future. But uh, he's one of the best, in my opinion, one of the best offensive coordinators in the nation. Yeah, and speaking of bright futures, Johnny Wilson. Oh, my God, dude. Eight receptions, 202 yards. He didn't even get a touchdown in this game, but it didn't matter. He got him down the field every single time. <clears throat> and with yeah. size like Johnny Wilson's, 6'7", 235 at a wide receiver position, like you're unstoppable. No matter who you're matched up with, it's a mismatch. I mean, when you were six foot seven, there they can put the ball anywhere, and you can you can reach it. <laughs> his his arms are longer than I than what I probably am tall. Like, no matter where they put the ball, he'll be able to catch it. Yeah, he's a athletic phenomenon. But um, and then on the other side of the ball, Florida State's defense actually had a couple of guys that really stood out. Jamie Robinson looked amazing. He had 13 total tackles, 10 solo, a sack, uh, the tackle for loss. Uh, I believe he forced a fumble uh, or at least recovered a fumble and um, also had a, a pass deflection. So he was all over the field making an impact. And across the board, both of these teams looked very good. Yeah, it w- it turned out to be very entertaining bowl game to watch and you know like again not to sound like a broken record but i mean bowl games are fun and that was a fun one to watch for sure uh let's get into washington texas um that one was at the end of the night just after the florida state uh game and that one i I honestly thought that one was a really good game too it was a little bit lower scoring uh Washington took it 27-20, but Quinn Ewers had an amazing performance, something we haven't seen from him, mainly because you know he was out for a couple weeks, but also with Bijan not being in this game, um, it, it changed how they had to run the offense, and I think it looked really good for Texas. Yeah, I mean, they're looking good. Sarkeesian, I mean, I mean we, we got to remember, he is a great uh, offensive mind. He's going uh, to get taken care of when it comes to offense here at the end of the day. Yeah, it, it, it seemed like the obvious problem, which is the Big 12 problem, is the defense. If you can't stop anyone, 20 points is definitely not going to cut it. But yeah. yeah, there was a lot of things that looked really good on both sides. Washington looked good. Michael Penix, once again, looked good. Uh, something that we were a little bit more used to at the beginning of the season with Penix was uh, a standout performance with a lot of throws. Uh, 32 for 54, 287, two touchdowns and an interception. That's a phenomenal game. Yeah, I mean, 52 throws in a game. Holy crap. I mean, that that, that is uh, – that's still, I feel like, above average in college football. But uh, oh, oh, yeah. Yeah, but something you kind of pointed out there that uh, – is you said that you call it the Big Twelve problem? I like like to expand that a little more to Big Twelve and Pac twelve problem. There's no defense really in either of these leagues. You know, if you want to watch, uh, ten, usually most seasons, if you want to watch an offensive shootout, 
you'll turn you'll tune into the Pac-12 and Big 12 and just watch offenses go at it. And uh, just like you pointed out with uh, Texas, if you don't have that good of a defense, you guys score more than twenty points. Yeah, and I don't know of really much else to talk about here. Um, obviously, some uh, two two teams that kind of surprised us this season. I know that Texas, you know, maybe people thought they were going to play a little bit better, but with the injuries to Quinn, uh, it kind of threw some things off. But Washington, eleven and two on the season, that is phenomenal. Not a team that I was looking at coming out of the Pac-12. Yeah, I honestly haven't thought about Washington since uh, a few years ago when they were in the um, playoffs. Yeah, Jake oh, Browning. Yeah, that's the last time I can remember ever being like, "Oh, Washington Huskies." Yeah, like I, they, you know, they're really off my radar. They're the other side of the country, and Obviously, I tend to uh, stay, stick to the SEC, ACC more, but, I mean, this season, they really have uh, had one great season. I mean, the Pac-12 as a whole, that entire conference looked very good this season. Yeah, for sure. And we'll get into Friday's games, December 30th. Uh, this had a, a couple of really good games. Um, the main ones I want to talk about, uh, we'll start it out, Notre Dame, South Carolina, Notre Dame beats them 45-38, absolute shootout, crazy back and forth, a bunch of just ridiculous plays happened in this game. Yeah, I'd like to point out we had a couple of our friends in attendance who attend the uh, University of South Carolina, and uh, it sucks to be them because they also had to suffer like I did. And uh, I was not expecting uh, South Carolina to give that one up. I thought they had in the bag. I even switched off the game because I thought they were going to win. I mean, I believe it was a shoot. It was a shootout most of the game, but you know, they they just looked slightly better there for most of the game. But in the fourth quarter, Notre Dame made made the comeback and up winning it. And you know, I really like uh, Marcus Freeman up there at uh, Notre Dame. Yeah, I, I think there's good things to say about both of these coaches. Honestly, Marcus Freeman, obviously in his first year, turned this around from. You know, we thought it was going to be a disaster after, you know, like the first three weeks, but um, turned it around nine and four, won the Gator Bowl. That's a big season. And then on the other side, Shane Beamer, this South Carolina team, I, I didn't think they were going to end, even end up in a bowl game. And for them to finish at, at number 19, eight and five and put up 38 points on Notre Dame, that's an impressive season as well. I, I am pleasantly surprised at the South Carolina Gamecocks this season. This is not like, much like you said. This is not what I, ex- I was expecting by them to end the season, especially by the time we get like halfway through the season and they were losing the not-so-good teams and just looking, looking rough. They came back through and they won back-to-back top 10 games and got themselves into an Orange Bowl – or sorry, into the Gator Bowl, which – like you said, one great season for them, especially a team who's not historically, you know, a uh, national championship contending team. I mean, for them and their recruits, I know it really only looks like up for them. But really, to me, I think this is a this win for Notre Dame meant more. It means more for Notre Dame and Marcus Freeman than it does for South Carolina and Shane Beamer, because the games this season that like really proves anything for South Carolina was those two wins over Tennessee and Clemson. 
And so this Gator Bowl for them really was just fun celebrating beating Clemson and Notre Dame or sorry, Clemson and uh, Tennessee. But Notre Dame, they needed this win, I believe. I this this was really the game they needed desperately to win. And it is and you know, they came out and they won, they made the comeback. And uh it it's I think it's much better for them to win. It was sorry, I cannot get my words out, but you know what I'm trying to say. Yeah, no, I get it. And uh, one of my favorite things that I noticed, I watched a little bit of this game. Uh, I found a name in college football that I absolutely love. It's a receiver for South Carolina. Uh, He got one reception for one yard uh, in this game, but his name, it's Omega Blake. And his first name is O apostrophe Mega. That is just an amazing name. Yeah, I mean, obviously he's the Omega. So they need to start taking him more seriously, huh? I guess so. He he is a freshman, so give him some time. But keep your eye out for Omega Blake, a wide receiver for the Gamecocks. Um, let's let's move on to um one that I really, I obviously the game was amazing, but I want to talk more about the production of the game. Uh, Ohio beats Wyoming thirty to twenty seven in overtime in the Barstool Sports Arizona Bowl. Uh, this game was a thriller. Uh, not one that. Um, I, I I knew I was going to watch this game, but I didn't really think that, you know, the actual game would be the entertaining part, and it most definitely was. Yeah, uh, definitely got to say, great job on Barstool by making this matchup. It was a very evenly matched game, um, but I, I, had to, I, I think I know where you're going here. The production of this game, it just, I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh, the booth was great. Jake Marsh, Dave Portnoy, and Big Cat. Um, it, it was flawless in the booth. Uh, Jake Marsh, obviously a, an actual play-by-play announcer, and, and he did a great job with this game. Um, Dave Portnoy and Big Cat are just such great personalities, but they have a good idea and, and good football minds when it comes to it. I, I've watched their streams where they watch college football, and obviously it's a little more about gambling there. But when you actually hear them talk about football, they know what they're talking about. And I, I think it was super entertaining as well. Yeah, uh, I think it was. it's, it's always a good little switch, uh, change up uh, just to have something like that in there. Uh, it's, always, it, you know, it's always a little something different, a little something out of the ordinary to just make, to continue to make the game more interesting. Because I, st- I always will say uh, football is the most entertaining sport to me. And somehow people bl- keep thinking it's getting more boring, but I think it's no matter what they do, it's I, I do love, love football every weekend, but it's like nice to have this little change up, have it kind of like a show than just a you know football game. Yeah, like it was a real production, and, and there were some amazing moments like Jersey Jerry eating shit, trying to grab the tea off the field, getting pushed over by that girl from Wyoming. <laughs> was absolutely hilarious and they just kept replaying it and it was so funny and then uh pft from part of my take kicking a field goal um in that little like field goal game with one of the fans and then their desk was really good for halftime and post game taylor lewan will compton that's two nfl players casey Mm -hmm. smith brandon walker and pft at the desk all people that talk about college football and, and know college football a good deal and it, they actually sounded really good as kind of a team at the table. Still entertaining, but also had some good analysis on the football. 
it almost reminds me a little bit of like the college football version of uh, the Savannah Bananas. The the I don't know what to call them. The baseball team down in Savannah. Yeah, it it was kind of like that, it, but it was outside of the game itself. It was like, you know, the game was still a, a college football game, a, a very yeah. serious college football bowl game. But yeah, um, there there was an entertainment factor that you don't normally see with football. And I think just overall, I had talked about this when we previewed the game uh, on Tuesday, me and Luke did, that this is a milestone for sports media companies. Um, you know, we're just starting out. But, you know, in general, if we can see the the smaller sports media companies, you know, continue to grow and, you know, see that this is a possibility. You know, you make a ton of money, you can sponsor a bowl game. You can do yeah. things like this. You can hold events like this. It's truly something that is unprecedented and something that we'll see a lot more of in the future. Yeah, so I'm gonna, uh, just two quick things I'm going to point out is, one, this is like exactly what the NFL was trying to do when they gave Nickelodeon the uh, rights to like call some games for the little kids or whatever. Like to me, this is like this is like what their dream would have been, but for like you know like younger kids. I, I just. You know, a little more silly, a little more like we were saying, a production to go along with the football game. Yeah, um, and, and obviously the barstool audience is not little kids; it's you know high school, college age kind of uh, people. But um, yeah, yeah I, I get what you're saying, and that you know it garners a different audience than you know just a normal ESPN, you know, four or three o'clock football game. And then the other thing I was going to say is. Uh, obviously, this is a uh, direction ESPN is looking into going. At, uh, just a quick take. I know we're going to talk about them later, but uh, with the two playoff bowl games, they had the Pat McAfee, <laughs> uh, uh, Pat McAfee show announcing uh, both bowl games on uh, ESPN2, where they literally were running up and down the sidelines, making their jokes, commenting the football team, or sorry, commentating the football game as well, but still doing their little jokes and all their things too to make it to keep people more interested. Yeah, yeah, and like you said, we'll talk about it a little bit more later. Uh, I do want to get into Tennessee versus Clemson in the orangest Orange Bowl, the Capital One Orange Bowl. Um, Clemson takes it thirty-one to fourteen, and I had sent you a TikTok from uh, Throw God, which you guys might know. I think he was like a quarterback at. NC State or Wisconsin or something, but um, he's just a funny guy on TikTok that talks about football. And I weirdly wish that DJ was the quarterback in this game because watching Joe Milton and DJ just chuck the Hail Marys down the field all game would have just been so much fun to watch. Yeah, I was, uh, I was, I was just surprised how crazy of an arm Joe Milton like. He was standing flat foot and casually threw a ball 65 yards at one point. Yeah, like, he's ridiculous. Step in, didn't step into the throw, nothing. Just like square stance, launched it 65 yards. How? Yeah, That's he pleasant. It was a pleasant surprise to, to watch Joe Milton play in this game. Um, obviously, we all wish we could have seen Hendon Hooker play in their bowl game, but. Yeah, Joe Milton showed out. He looked super good. And I think that, you know, this this means that 
you know, there is a future for Tennessee football. It, it's not going to end with this you know, lightning in the bottle type of season that, you know, we saw with like 2019 LSU. This is a real team and it's got, you know, a real coach and real talent across the board. And not just Joe Milton, but, you know, Nico Ayamaleva was with the team. I think he's now enrolled at Tennessee. He was practicing with the team. He was on the sidelines. They have a future ahead of them at Tennessee. And I'm very excited to see what's going to happen. Yeah, Tennessee definitely. This game, I've said it before with uh, other bowl games, but this game definitely 100% for Tennessee was, this is what we're going to look like next year. Because I believe uh, the biggest players for Tennessee who made the biggest impact, uh, Hyatt and, uh, of course, Hendon Hooker, weren't both of them out? Uh, yes, they were both out, and they're both going to the draft. Okay, so both of them did not play in this game, and they were saying, hey, so just let everybody know, this, this year is not a one-hit wonder. We're coming back. We're reloading. These are the players we're going to have. Y'all best be ready for next year because we're making a statement. And, you know, uh, Happel is a great coach. And I think uh, uh, we, we kind of talked about it uh, off air, uh, more of how we felt uh, who the quarterback would be. I mean, he looked very good with them. Everybody seemed to like him. And, I mean, I just still cannot get over that arm talent he has. Yeah, no, it, it's insane how well he played. And then on the other side of the ball, it, it kind of seemed like Cade Klubnik just could not avoid the pressure. Um, And I don't think that was all his fault. Uh, he looked good in the other games he's played. I think it was more on the offensive line and Tennessee's defense. Um, mm-hmm. But it also just seems like Cade Klubnik just doesn't quite have the experience yet, which, you know, we can't expect him to. Um, He's a freshman He's only started, like, I think this was his second or third start. And, you know, I'm not trying to say that it's looking bad for Clemson going into next year, but there's obviously things that Cade Club needs to work on before he truly becomes the starter of that team. Yeah, I have to agree with you. I am not going to say that Clemson is not going to have a good season, uh, but I have to agree. Definitely, uh, Club Nick needs experience, and that it's going to be – a bit of their, not going to say their downfall, but it's going to be one of the issues they're going to deal with next year is a, an experienced quarterback. Um, and if, you know, if DJ uh, Uyangale said was right and how Clemson can't develop a quarterback, we'll see <laughs> with uh, Klubnik because obviously uh, Uyangale was one of the, a very highly talented quarterback coming out of high school. He was, you know, being called the next big thing and, at Clemson, he didn't really do anything. So we'll see uh, how, how he does over there at Oregon State. But I think uh, I think Clemson's set up pretty well, especially for the ACC. Uh, so I am excited to see how they do. But in this bowl game, I agree with you. Uh, Club Nick just so inexperienced, especially having to go against a very good SEC team, just was not ready. Yeah, it, it, it was pretty evident. Um and let's get into the uh, New Year's Eve games. Uh, we're not going to talk about the semifinal game just yet um, because uh, there was one notable one, uh, Alabama versus Kansas State in the All-State Sugar Bowl. Alabama takes it 45-20, and this is the performance that 100% has cemented Bryce Young, the number one overall pick. Yeah. Young um, looked. They, they went down 10 to start the game and then they just Alabama just turned turned it on and just from that point on looked like the Alabama team of 
of past years. They looked so good. And Bryce Young and his composure and poise in the pocket is – and he's had it ever since he was fresh. Even when he was a freshman, he came in from Mac Jones a few plays. He's so confident in that pocket. It's what's going to make him – I believe he's going to be a great quarterback in the NFL. I know he's undersized, but he is so confident in the way he plays and how he plays that he is going to be a great quarterback in the NFL. Yeah, like they went down by 10 early in the game, and then Bryce Young just let it fly, man. 321 in the air, five touchdowns, man. That is dirty. Yeah, I mean, he just – he was just on another level. He looked just so good. I still don't really like Bill O'Brien too much as an offensive coordinator, but, I mean, he – that offense – uh, I think I don't know how much I, don't, I obviously don't know I'm not a part of the Alabama football team coaching staff or anything I would like to know how much of the game was orchestrated by Bryce Young on the field or the play calls coming in from up top yeah um, that that is a good question obviously we, we wouldn't know but yeah I still do think that Alabama needs some changes when it comes to the coordinators um, you know you can't put everything on Nick Saban he can only control so much. Obviously, yeah, he could put on the headset and he could start playing the call or calling the plays. He's not gonna. He's fucking Nick Saban. Like there, he has. A, there's a standard with Nick Saban. He doesn't need to call plays. He's proven himself enough. So he's got to find the right guys. And obviously, you would think that Bill O'Brien, with you know years of NFL experience, would be able to call a good game in college. Well, it, it doesn't seem like he can. And I think he needs to be replaced i agree and i mean he he had some good years i believe at penn state uh after the whole child sex scandal he i believe he was the coach who went in uh led him to i believe two or three uh pretty good uh win seasons eight and four i believe uh good bowl games and then he went on to the nfl so he obviously knows how to coach but he just did not just he's not done anything in the anything with Alabama to impress me. Alabama to me looks like they're running the same four plays. Yeah, it's like okay, Bryce Young throw it super far down the field to Jermaine Burton or Cameron Latu or Ja'Cory Brooks. And then it's just like okay, hand the ball off to Jameer Gibbs, let him get stuffed in the middle. Let Jameer Gibbs run the ball outside for once. Yeah, that's the thing. That's the biggest issue this season that's bothered me is Jermaine Gibbs. He can run up the middle, but that's not where he where he thrives. He is. You get him in space, and he's gone. He's quick. He's shifty, and when he's in the space, he can make those hits. You know, to get the extra few yards, run over a DB or something. That's his thing. He's he's not really one, in my opinion, that is. You know, uh, hard nose. You run them up the a gap every play. Yeah, and then uh, for Kansas State, I, I think the real standout in this game was Deuce Vaughn. Uh, Twenty-two carries, one hundred and thirty-three on the ground, and one touchdown. Uh, one of those touchdowns, or that one touchdown, being an eighty-eight-yard touchdown run. He looked really good. He, he was a guy that you know played well throughout the season. wasn't exactly the centerpiece of this offense, but he played super well in this this game. 
his past two games, uh, or two games, I got to watch all four games. And he looked really good. You know, for someone his size, you know, you don't really expect too much. But he's, oh, sorry, excuse me. He's one of the quickest guys I think I've ever seen. I mean, if you blink, you'll miss him. And he's shifty, and he makes very good reads in the hole. And I think the thing that works for, best for him is he's so small, he can just slip through and no one notices him. Yeah, and you know, you said his last two games. Well, his last three games, really. In his last three games, he's had at least 130 rushing yards, which is phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, especially for a team who I see, like, in these la- the last few games, the reason I said that is those are the two ga- full games of his I can see. They ran him up box of their mouth. He was getting good yards. I mean, get me wrong. There has been very good blocking done by that offensive line. You know, one thing I tend to forget a lot is the offensive line is always something people tend to overlook, and they are very important in the game. With that being said, they're they're doing a great job, but he being as small and as nimble as he is, he's able to get into a hole that's about a foot wide and squeeze through and break away. Yeah, he's an impressive player. And um, we'll get into Monday's games um, before we get into these semifinal games. Tulane and USC was probably the best bowl game I watched, even a little bit of. Um, And I really want to just, first of all, brag, because I told everyone on this show multiple times that Tulane would give USC a great game and that they would surprise you with how well they play, and they did exactly that, and they won. Yeah, I don't think I, I I didn't hate on Tulane too much, did I? No, you definitely didn't. I I just mean okay. you know everybody just kind of wrote them off. It was a a top team with the Heisman winner versus a Group of Five team that nobody really paid attention to. But Willie Fritz is an amazing head coach. Me and you have sat in here and talked so well about Willie Fritz all year and look his coaching and then of course the players on the field showed it. Yeah, they well, the thing with Willie Fritz is uh, I remember when he went to Georgia Southern uh, before he moved on to Tulane. Uh, I wasn't his biggest fan at first because he was trying to uh, Georgia Southern for me. He they were Georgia Southern's a traditional run run option offense, and he was trying to change that, and that's why he left Georgia Southern. But when he went down to Georgia Southern, I recall I, I can remember him. The players wanted to play for him and were willing to change for him. And obviously, uh, alumni didn't like that, so he they asked him to move on, and he moved on to Tulane. Now to where he, in one season, went from two and ten to eleven and two, which is amazing to do, especially in those smaller conferences. In those smaller conferences where you don't really get too many good athletes, and he was able. I mean, the American Athletic Conference. I'm not going to say. They're a pa- they're a power six yet because they do have some stragglers, but they definitely do have some really good teams, really good athletes, and in really good recruiting areas. And he was able to bring that team back, and he, they just look so good. And basically, what I'm getting at is players love to play for him, and he knew that this game meant a lot for not only his team, but for all the little teams to so like to remember. Hey, we're here. We just 
beat the Heisman winner in a in the Cotton Bowl. Look at us, you know. Don't never ch- uh, count us out. And I think we tend to learn this uh, year in and year out when uh, big teams like you know, going to use. I'm just going to keep using this Cotton Bowl example. The USC game, they had the Heisman winner, and they had all these big time recruits and all these transfers, whatever. And Tulane, who just had probably no more than a handful of three-star athletes, went in and beat them. Yeah, and I'm going to kind of quickly run through the end of this game because it was ridiculous. So Tulane was down 45-30 with four minutes and 30, sec- or 30 seconds left in the game. Then they go 23-second drive, two plays, 63 yards. A 59-yard reception takes them to the USC four, a four-yard uh, touchdown run. Puts it to 30 or 45 37. They kick it off. The kickoff's muffed, recovered by USC at their own one yard line. They run it for no gain. They're stuck on the one. They try to run it again, and Austin Jones, the running back, is met at the mesh point by a two lane defender for the safety. 45 39 now, three minutes 30 or three minutes 20 seconds left. Then a 12 play, three minute 11 second touchdown drive is saved by two fourth down conversions. One on fourth and ten. They score this touchdown. They left nine seconds on the clock. Tulane leads 46-45. Caleb Williams passed just barely too deep, which kept them out of range for a Hail Mary. Leaves two seconds on the clock for USC on their 11-yard line. They try the lateral play. It goes on a little bit long, but ultimately goes nowhere. The ball gets pushed out of bounds. Game over. Tulane has just beat the Cotton Bowl against USC. Yeah, that was one of the craziest endings to get. I'm like, okay, there are way too many crazy endings to the game of the games this postseason, but that has to be one of the craziest. Yeah, for sure. And uh, let's talk about LSU versus Purdue. This was just a, a, a brutal one to watch for Purdue, but LSU takes it 63-7, to seven, and I think this was just LSU letting off some steam. They just come off two straight losses to A&M and UGA, and they just wanted to and did beat up Purdue. I, I, I really want to make the point here, and uh, I pulled it up. This is a little off topic here. But these are for my uh, Big Ten listeners who still say the uh, SEC is overrated. Uh, Purdue, who played in your conference championship, arguably, since they played in your conference championship, second, third best team in the conference. Is that right? Uh, yes, but Penn State is probably better than them as well. So I'd put them fourth. Okay, so top four in your conference. They got beat by, okay, yeah, it was, again, arguably the second best team in the SEC. You know, whatever. I would say they're third or fourth, but that's besides the point. They beat them. What was it? Uh, fifty-six to seven. 60, Sixty-three to seven. Sixty-three to seven, which then put the big, uh, Big Ten, at a uh, five and four, in the, in the uh, their bowl games, and the SEC at six and five, and the SEC who played two uh, Big Ten teams beat the two t- Big Ten teams. So if you want to keep talking about who's better, just uh, go look at the stats there. So, this is mainly directed to one person I know who always hits on the SEC, says the Big Ten's better or whatever. All I got to say, Peach Bowl and the Cheez-It Bowl, son. And the Orange Bowl. And the Orange Bowl. I mean. And 
and the um and the uh sugar bowl yeah well, the sugar ago, bowl I'm... wasn't at against the big 10 team but you know and neither was the orange bowl but still sec wins that were very impressive yeah and i think people would tend to forget you know you, you can hate or whatever but still the sec is i'm gonna i'm not gonna lie i'm biased sec is the best conference iron sharpens iron and that's why the SEC is continuously good year in, year out. Yeah. And but to bring it back a little bit to the game. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Uh, there that wasn't was really – no, no worries. There wasn't many players on LSU that really stood out, which kind of surprised me. Um, the main one, Malik Neighbors, um, nine receptions, 163 yards, and a touchdown. And he also was two for two passing for 50 yards and a touchdown, which is interesting. But – yeah, outside of that, it was a complete team performance. Um, they, they really looked good, and I think it was just a matter of, you know, everybody probably wanted to be on the field to just keep beating them up because they wanted to get over it. Yeah, and one thing I do want to say, I said a lot of mean things, a lot of I put, I threw a lot of hate towards Brian Kelly's way, but this bowl game really surprised me especially after those two losses to Georgia and A&M at the end of the year. I thought he was just going to let the team pity themselves. Oh, well, we lost or whatever, whatever. And I thought they were going to pity themselves, barely make it through this bowl game. And he got them ready and excited for the game and brought them out and beat the ever-leaving crap out of Purdue. And honestly, he's that's something a championship court, uh, coach would do. To say, hey, we may have lost this these two last two games, but hey, we can forget about all that. Let's end the season on a high note. Yeah, it, it was impressive, but I do have to give some hate to Brian Kelly because I watched him eat cheese that's off the ground after that oh. cheese that shower he got. That was gross. That was that is well deserved hate. That that was gross. I really he's probably sick now. He's old. Yeah, he that's nasty. Don't don't eat don't eat cheese that's off the ground, Brian. You've got money. Go get yourself some food. It was past the five-second rule, too. Come on, man. Yeah. But um, <laughs> so now that we are done talking about all the bowl games that have happened and, and all the bowl games for this whole season, uh, we'll get into the college football playoff semifinal games. And these were easily the best semifinal games, at least uh, in the same year um, that we've ever seen in the history of the playoff. Yeah, I have never in my life. Let me rephrase that. Never in my life would I have thought I would see the two playoff games have zero defense whatsoever. Yeah. Especially by two teams that are supposed to have two of the best defenses in the nation. It, it was insane. So we'll start it off. TCU beats Michigan 51-45 in the college football playoff semifinal at the Verbo Festival. Um. This was just crazy. I didn't get a chance to watch much of this because I was at work, but it seemed like this was just an absolute shootout, it, just back and forth. TCU took an early lead, and they took a 21-6 to lead going into the half. Michigan, of course, a, a second-half team, came out, scored 24 in the third, and TCU almost matched them with the 20 points. It, it was over and over and over again, just scoring. Yeah. I, I gave TCU 
a lot of hate, and I said missions can go out there and beat the crap out of them. Obviously, I was wrong. The scoreboard shows I was wrong. Uh, they have something to prove. Good for them. They, they, I mean, they went out there and they, they made their point. They, does they proved they deserve to be here? Uh, Michigan just definitely underestimated TCU. And they got so far behind in a situation where they haven't been all year that they didn't know what to do with themselves. Yeah, and, you know, in those kind of situations where you're behind, you can't rely on running the ball, and that was their downfall. J.J. McCarthy looked pretty bad. Um, Obviously, like, he still wasn't that bad in comparison to other performances from this year where you had to throw the ball, but... Yeah, 20 for 34 is perfectly fine. 343 yards in the air, that's great. Two touchdowns, that's great. Two interceptions, and they really hurt. And they both were returned for six points, by the way, I believe. Yeah, I know, I, I know, it, I know at least one of them was. Yeah, they both led the points uh, off the INT. I mean, he was telegraphing where he was putting the ball every single time. I. I and I mean, I understand he's a young quarterback, and you have those issues. But I mean, me watching the TV, I was able to tell exactly where the ball was going just about every single play. Yeah, it it, it makes me question. You know, why did Michigan give up Joe Milton for JJ McCarthy? Oh yeah, I one hundred percent agree with that. I I would not. Especially after this last bowl game, I have no idea what anybody would would not want Joe Milton on their team. Yeah, but you know, obviously Michigan had their reasons, but doesn't seem to be paying out for them. Um, Donovan Edwards had a great game uh, in the absence of Blake Corum. Twenty three carries, one hundred nineteen yards. Uh, JJ McCarthy had a decent game on the ground. Ten carries, fifty two yards, one touchdown. Um, a, a couple of the receivers had great games. Uh, Ronnie Bell, six receptions, 135, and a touchdown. Roman Wilson had a, a sick uh, touchdown play. Five receptions, 104 yards, one touchdown. It was a outstanding game, but then, you know, TCU on the other side matched it. Max Duggan didn't even have, like, a, a super impressive game from what we've seen from him this year. 14 for 29, 225 in the air, two touchdowns, two interceptions, but... Amari DeMarcado stepped in, and he's a guy that hasn't gotten a ton of touches this year. I believe Kendra Miller got hurt at some point in the game and came out, uh, but Amari um, DeMarcado had 17 carries, 150 yards, and a touchdown, and Max Duggan did it on on the ground as well. Um, 15 carries, 57 yards, two rushing touchdowns. Yeah, wouldn't I mean, just by looking at this game, we both know there was no defense to be played on either side of the ball. I mean, besides the uh, turnovers, that's about the only defense there was. Every other play was a touchdown or a field goal or something. Um, and I'll, I'll give this to TCU. They were, especially their offense, firing at all cylinders. Uh, they got some stuff to work on in the defense against Georgia, but Georgia has a pretty similar uh, offense and to the Michigan team here. So I think uh, – I think that might this game might have really helped them prepare for Georgia. Yeah, I agree. I think Georgia is a little bit better in you know some aspects, at least limiting turnovers, and um, you know the defense is a little bit different. But yeah, I think 
TCU still does match up really well, uh, and we'll obviously get into that later. But uh, I do want to talk about Quentin Johnston uh, before we move on. Six receptions, 163 yards, and a touchdown. He had an uh, outstanding game, and my kind of my takeaway from this is I think that Quentin Johnston might have throughout this season kind of proven that he might be the number one wide receiver coming out. Jackson Smith and Jigbo was out, uh, I believe, the entire season, if not a majority of the season, and you know that typically would hurt your draft stock. It still looks like Jackson Smith and Jigbo is going to be the number one wide receiver taken, but I think Quentin Johnston has the opportunity to take that spot. Yeah, I mean, especially in this game, he really showed. Uh, di- I, I uh, let me let me get my words straight real quick. Yeah, I agree sitting out for a season the, the, it, it, in my opinion would affect your draft stock that's an entire year of not playing football and that one year you know that could make or break you you, you could have been a one-hit wonder or whatever uh so I, I think i mean it is obviously we saw with uh jamar chase when he sat out a year he came into the league and did amazing so i'm not going to say anything against him against uh the people who sat out but um i think I always personally like someone who I can look and see hard, a lot of hard evidence of why they are better and see their progression and see how they're getting better. Yeah, it's important. But um, anything else you want to say about this game before we get into uh, the other semifinal? Um, I just, this is going to kind of go more towards the, uh, the national championship, but I mean, I think I say it all the time defense wins championships, and you can't let up 45 points if you're expecting to win a national championship. Yeah, and, and obviously, look, Michigan does have a good defense, and nobody's gone around saying that TCU has good defense. We We know that, but you know, the offense has the opportunity to just keep matching teams. That's what the Big 12 does so well. They just put up points. It's hard to keep up with 51 points. And Mm -hmm. that's the part that, you know, gives TCU an edge in a lot of their games is that they've got an offense that's built to go and they get on the field a lot and they score a lot. And with a team with such, you know, high motors across the board, their offense has the opportunity to keep up with anyone. Yeah. Oh, quick thing I want to say before we uh, move on. What? Didn't uh, Max Duggan say he's going to the uh, draft after uh, this championship game? Yes. Well, so I think he had declared it uh, a couple of weeks ago, and, and nobody really talked about it. He hasn't showed up on any mock drafts. It, it doesn't seem like anybody's really looking at Max Duggan, at least early in the draft. After watching him this season, I think I would rather go with Max Duggan over Will Labis any day of the week. Oh, don't even get me started. I will vouch for anybody <laughs> over Will Levis right now. But, um, yeah, I, I don't even want to start on that Will Levis tangent. So let's just go ahead and get into Georgia versus Ohio State. Uh, me and you will watch this game together for the most part. Um, Georgia <laughs> took it 42-41. to 41, And, um, dude, this game was insane. Yeah, I, I, I genuinely was left speechless throughout this game because of how poorly this Georgia defense performed, but also as well as how 
prepared this Ohio State offense was. I yeah. one thing I tend because as you know, I, I tend not to say the nicest thing of Big Ten teams. I already went on a tangent today about them. They do, especially Ohio State and Michigan and uh, Penn State, they tend to get some of the best offensive players in the nation on their teams. And when they use them properly, they are one of the best offenses in the nation. Oh, 100%. Look, C.J. Stroud is a phenomenal quarterback, a guy that I personally think that he might be better than Bryce Young um, when it comes to an NFL look. But, um, you know, obviously Bryce Young's proved himself to be the number one quarterback. But, yeah, C.J. Stroud is fantastic. Week in and week out, he does his thing. And this was no exception. 348, four touchdowns, no interceptions. Like, that is an insanely good game. And the kid can chuck it, too. A bunch of long plays. Um, No huge deep completions, but he was throwing it downfield a lot um, into a little bit low percentage spots. But... The wide receivers still looked good. Emeka Egbuka, eight receptions, 112, one touchdown. Marvin Harrison Jr., of course, five receptions, 106, two touchdowns. Like, they have uh, an amazing offense, and that's why they scored 41 points. It, it just happens that, you know, maybe their kicker isn't the best. Hey, definitely not. They, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, in my head. I have a friend who's a big Ohio State fan, and every time I, 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 in my picture the kick missing, I just picture him crying, and it brings me joy. But um, <laughs> uh, he talks so much crap. He de- I he deserved this loss. But um, yeah, I want to say I kind of uh, pointed or kind of said it earlier. Shout out to this Ohio State offensive line. They let up very little quarterback pressure and quarterback sacks in this game. Yeah, especially against, you know, a front seven that is very scary to play against every week in Georgia to, you know, they held off Georgia for a while. And and it was obvious that um, near the end, they kind of got burned out. Um, They were letting up some pressure, letting up, um, you know, getting CJ having, uh, sorry, CJ was getting put in some bad situations, but. You know, for the first quarter at least and into the second quarter, as well as uh, coming out at halftime, that offensive line did an, a, a fantastic job of protecting their quarterback. Yeah, something I want to just point out uh, that I, that makes Georgia different and even Ohio State, uh, or so not Ohio State, uh, Alabama. Georgia and Alabama stick out more than any other team in the nation because they had their depth is so crazy. They are literally three deep of five-star athletes on both sides of the ball. And that's why Georgia and Alabama, especially Alabama for the, all that time under Nick Saban, did so well is because the guy, the next guy up is just as good or better than the starter. And that's why I think later in the game you see Ohio State, they have some depth, but nothing compared to the Georgia depth. When Georgia can get three you know, three lot layers of athletes who are five-star athletes, some of the best athletes in the, in the world, going at you constantly degrading that line and going after your receivers. They're going to get tired, and that's why Georgia is just so good. Yeah, and a testament to what you said, 
is Georgia's leading receiver, Arian Smith. This was only his fourth game of the season. He played his first game of the season at uh, Mizzou on October 1st and then played against Tennessee. And then after that, it was just LSU and Ohio State. And he only had one reception in those three games before it. And then Saturday comes, he's got three receptions, 129 with a 76-yard reception and a touchdown. That is just, you know, a huge testament to the depth of this team. This is just a sophomore that, you know, we hadn't seen at all this whole season playing. And, and you know, he picked up the load. Adonai Mitchell didn't have an, a, a fantastic game. Kiaris Jackson didn't either. But when you've got the depth like this, it, it truly shows in the final score. Yeah. And, I mean, one thing Ohio State did very well with is I'm not going to say they didn't They didn't totally shut down the Georgia run game because the Georgia run game was still very much alive. But for the most part, they forced Stetson to pass a lot more. And it was very obvious. I'm not that he's – that Georgia doesn't want you to push them to have to pass with Stetson. Obviously, Stetson had a great game for uh, almost 400 yards, four touchdowns, and one interception – but Georgia wants you to keep the ball on the gr- wants to be able to keep the ball on the ground and run it down your throat, as well as they also uh, kept Brock Bowers mostly under control. Although he did have a pretty good de- game, though. Yeah, well, keeping Brock Bowers under control is keeping him under like a hundred yards and two touchdowns. So, <laughs> um, yeah, they they did a great job. But yeah, for Georgia, like you said, Stetson Bennett actually had a fantastic game even though he was forced to pass the ball a lot more. Like, they only ran the ball 26 times, and um, and seven of those were Stetson, which uh, or in college they consider sacks, I believe, as, as rushes if they move out of the pocket. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, Kenny McIntosh only had five carries. Uh, he had 70 yards, but uh, Dodge and Edwards, eight carries. Kendall Milton, three carries. That's not a normal thing we see from Georgia, but... You do have to say, you know, Todd Munkin did a great job of kind of flexing what their game plan was to what they saw coming from Ohio State. Look, yeah, of course, Georgia's first option is to run the ball. But when you know that you can lean on Stetson Bennett and he can just get it done for you, then, you know, you have a great opportunity to win any game you play. Yeah, and this comment's about to seem like a lot of hate towards Stetson Bennett, so a lot of people are going to love this. But, uh, you know, Stetson's thing is not he's this ridiculously crazy athletic quarterback with a, you know, insane arm and insane accuracy. His thing is he's a game manager. He can get you the ball where it needs to be. He can manage the game. He can control the team. That's his thing. And I almost feel as if, Georgia would have had a had one of their five star quarterbacks in how much different this game would have been. Yeah, not saying uh, not saying anything. I mean, obviously Georgia still won at the end of the day. But what I'm getting at is and not saying that they just start him that day. No freshman five star quarterback or whatever you are should start in that in that situation. But if they would have played him more throughout the season, get have him start a few games, see what he looks like. And then put him in this game. I wonder what the difference there would have been, because this was obviously a game that, that, that was a show of the quarterback. 
Yeah, Stetson had to do his job in the fourth quarter, and he did it to perfection. But you're right. Yeah, there's guys that are more skilled at quarterback. And we saw the same thing with Jake Fromm. Jake Fromm was not as skilled as Justin Fields at quarterback, but, you know, he started over him, and that ultimately made Justin Fields leave. But then Stetson steps in last year over um, JT Daniels. And everything just keeps changing. But, you know, right now, the way it looks is that Carson Beck's going to be the starter next year. And the thing that concerns me with that is he hasn't gotten really any looks, like even just like late game. They keep Stetson in the game a lot. Carson Beck doesn't get a lot of opportunities to throw. And, you know, that kind of frightens me. I know they've done a great job of just bringing a quarterback in and it working, but that can't happen every single time. Yeah, I think, and the thing with them is when they get a new quarterback in, that's not Stetson Bennett, that has a lot more talent when it comes to the quarterback position, they're going to run into some more issues of, you know, more potential interceptions, more potential fumbles, you know, issues with that because he is, uh, he can, you know, throw the ball 80 yards as opposed to Stetson, you know, who his game really is just a managed football game. So uh, I, I agree. There's been another team I know of, I don't want to point out, but they did the same thing with their quarterback. And then uh, they let the starting quarterback play every single down, every single game. And then the very last game, the bowl game, he got hurt. They put him in. And this poor quarterback who never got any playing time the entire season had to go in against the best defense in the, or the one, uh, top five defense in the league uh, last year. And he was very ill-prepared, never played a game before, played halfway decent, but since he didn't know what to do and how to play, you know, he wasn't comfortable with the ones because they didn't even give him reps with ones at practice. He was not ready to play the game, and they ended up losing the game. So yeah. I'll be honest, gotta, I have no idea who you're talking about, but I have a feeling that it's some type of foreshadowing that you're leading to. Kind of, sort of. Okay. All I believe is you got to get your young quarterbacks in, especially when you're blowing out a team. You got to get your young quarterbacks, not even your quarterbacks, your young players in general, in to get some experience. You could be getting blown out. You could be blowing someone out. Get those young players in to get some experience. So when it is their time and they're the next up, they're ready and prepared. Yeah. Um, before, you know, we could sit here and talk about. Georgia's quarterback situation going into next year and you know what we think but let's talk about this championship game because because that's what's next and look the obvious thing to say is that Georgia's going to whoop TCU's ass but I don't think that's the case we said it earlier and look we compared the defenses of Georgia and Michigan all season and I think that you know with how well TCU played Michigan's defense who's to say they can't do it again I think Ohio State and exposing Georgia's defense this in this game. There, there's either two ways this can go. One is Georgia spent will be spending the entire time uh, going into this uh, national championship game, getting their defense prepared, and just saying, "Hey, this was embarrassing. This is not the Georgia standard. Get your, you know, all the words they're going to be using." Say, this is not what we do. This is not who we are. We are a defensive team. We produce the best defensive players. Y'all need to get your get in, get 
in shape if you know they're probably gonna be making them run and punish them for the way they played because they gave up way too much for them to be called the best defense in the nation so they're in that i mean we've seen kirby smart at alabama and now at georgia this is not the standard and it will be addressed and it for georgia's sake hopefully will get fixed but we won't see until uh monday when they play i think ohio state is just a better offense than tcu and i think Ohio State's offensive line, more especially, is much better than TCU's offensive line. And I think that's where we're going to see the big difference in this uh, national championship game is uh, going to be in the trenches. Yeah, but, you know, at the same time, you know, as a result of that, when you put pressure on Max Duggan, he tends to do something with it. And he can make something out of nothing, whether that be passing or with his feet. But I think that if Georgia can slow down the run game, and I'm not just talking about Amari DeMarcado uh, and Kendra Miller, and Kendra Miller's questionable for the game, but uh, yeah, Max Duggan. If you can't stop Max Duggan from running, then you're going to get screwed because he can make it happen. And I I do think that that's going to be the key for Georgia, is trying to slow down not just the running backs, but also Max Duggan's ability in the run game. Yeah, you definitely took what my next comment was going to be right out of my mouth. The key for the Georgia defense, exactly like you just said, is Max Duggan. They have to put a quarterback spy on him, especially on uh, rush on uh, passing on what are assumed passing downs. Because, I mean, I, just watching the end of the um, the uh, Kansas State TCU Big Twelve Championship game. That game is the prime example of you have to have someone on him at all times. If not, he will make you pay. And, you know, as I said, Georgia is a very defensive team, has arguably the best defensive coordinator in the history of college football as their head coach. A very, and their current defensive coordinator, Will Muschamp, is a very renowned defensive coordinator. So I think. They will be able. I. I. I don't. I'm not gonna say. I don't know for sure yet, but I. I believe that they're going. They've been watching film and they know what to expect. And they're gonna. There's gonna be a surprise of something in Georgia, and this game that we're not expecting. I think to control Max Duggan. Yeah, and then you know for Georgia, there's some things on their side that they need to look out for. Look, uh, Darnell Washington's questionable. Uh, Warren McClendon on the offensive line is questionable. And, you know, Darnell Washington's blocking ability is something that, you know, you, you can't see on the stat sheet, but it's 100% a big factor in why Stetson always has a lot of time to throw the ball and why the running game works super well. And I think that, you know, I, if Stetson's feeling a lot more pressure in this game than he's used to, Georgia has to... um game plan correctly for this and not just rely on strong run plays and uh, tons of time to throw? Um, Me personally, looking at it from a coaching perspective, if I'm Georgia, I think we have this game in the bag because I would put that Georgia offensive line against that Georgia, or sorry, against that TCU defensive line any day. Because TCU runs basically uh, a 3-3. Three running, or sorry, three down linemen, three linebackers. And I would want to run that ball 
as much as I could because, I mean, you have – I would take my front six, including my uh, uh, t- uh, tight end, against theirs any day of the week because I just think that that's where you're going to win the game. And that's where Georgia prides themselves more than Michigan, I think. And uh, that's something they're going to have to see early in the game. But again, that I'm excited to see how this game, how they game plan for it. Yeah, and I do want to get a, a final score prediction out of you. I think it's going to be more of a not as high scoring as I think, but not as low scoring. I'm going to go with the 35 to 20, 26, 35 to 26. Okay, so yours is surprisingly very close to mine. Uh, mine is 38-28, and, and I'm uh, assuming that we both have UGA in that. Of course. All right, so you heard it here first. I've got 38-28 UGA. Brock's got 35-26 UGA. Um, Brock, you said you wanted to circle back to something for Michigan, so go ahead and say it. And it kind of goes into this, uh, into the uh, that will uh, affect, I think, TCU and the – uh, championship game. Michigan, I believe there were three or four plays we can look back on where they were just so busy trying to be cute and doing all this fun fun football plays that they forgot they forgot what they were playing for. Uh, there was one, a Philly special, one of the worst runs Philly specials I've ever seen in my life. Um, and it was on that. fourth down in the first quarter. Yeah, no, you're there on the half-yard line what you do, and there was another play. They tried doing a cute little, oh, uh, uh, there was a touchdown, by the way, but they got called down on the half-yard line, uh, and I believe it was also in the first quarter, maybe the second quarter, and they tried tried this quick little uh, handoff to the fullback, and the fullback uh, fumbled it because it was a pretty bad handoff. It was really low, and TC recovered in the end zone. They were too busy trying to do these cute little, oh, ha-ha, look at these fun little football plays, Instead of trying to win the football game, what they need to do in that situation, which every freaking football team needs to learn how to do, if you're on, if you're within the two yard line, you get your quarterback right up underneath the center's butthole. He snaps the ball, and your running back pushes a quarterback up into the end zone. It's the best thing to do in that situation, and no one's going to stop you. Yeah, yeah, I, uh, and I think that that's something that you know Georgia doesn't do. Georgia doesn't fuck around. They they go in and they just play their game. And, you know, maybe that, you know, those opportunities were given to TCU by Michigan. I don't think Georgia's going to give them those opportunities. Yeah, those were two touchdowns Michigan lost because they were too busy trying to be cute and and doing their stupid plays. All right, yeah, it's going to look great on it's going to cuz either way, like I like uh, as me and my one of my friends like to say, we say it's going to end up on Instagram for uh, one of two ways. They're going to say, man, this is the greatest trick play I've ever seen, or holy crap, why would anybody ever do that? Yeah. Okay, well, that'll round out everything we've got for the College Football Playoff National Championship uh, on Monday. Uh, and, and be on the lookout. Uh, if UJ wins, uh, there will be some fun content coming out uh, on the second and short social media accounts. Um, don't want to give too much away. But... Um, we wanted to do something a little bit fun with the national championship game coming up. Uh, we are going to do a top five national championship draft. Um, each of us get five picks. And uh, I, I will say we are only going back to um, 1998 
the start of the BCS era. Um, because before that it was all sorts of bullshit that, you know, we can't keep up with, especially, you know, both of us being born in 2003, we don't remember those games. Yeah, um, I would like to the 1960 Old Miss National Championship team. Yeah, we're not talking about that. So, <laughs> <laughs> so Brock's going to start it off and, um, round one, Brock, th- this is a lot of pressure. It, you have to pick the greatest college football championship game of all time. Now, if you're asking me to pick a te- pick a specific team, I think was the greatest team of all time. I know exactly who I'm picking because it. I mean, everyone knows who that. That's the easiest pick. But I mean, oh, a game that is so hard. I think I'm gonna have to go with one of the more recent years. Um, uh, with one of the Alabama Clemson games, one of those two years. But I think, uh, I think it's going to be that uh, first year Clemson wins. Was that 2017, I believe? Or was uh, that- 2016, it was played in 2017. Yeah, so the was the 17 championship the one uh, where, Clint's, where Renfro catches it in the end zone and Clemson I wins? I believe so, yeah. Yeah, that one yeah. was the final score, 35-31. Yeah, that's got to be, that's gotta be one, of the, one of the most exciting – I mean, that was one heck of a football game. All right. So you've got the 2016 National Championship game, uh, Clemson over Alabama. I I feel like I just need to go ahead and do this because it's a huge homer pick. And, you know, one of the first National Championship games that I remember fondly. And it was a, a great game. Florida State versus Auburn, 2013 National Championship game, the final BCS championship. Florida State takes it 34-31. It, it was an amazing game. Yeah, maybe this is going to make me sound like an old man, and mainly because I am one, but that is definitely one of those. I love going back and watching old football games. That's one of those I, I like to go back and watch. All right, so round one over. You've got 2016 Clemson versus Alabama. I've got 2013 Florida State versus Auburn. Who's your second round pick? Oof. It's, it's always it's a lot of pressure. Um, but um, they, there's just so many. I'm trying to think. There, there were a lot of games I liked, but it mainly because the team I predicted the win won. <laughs> but just because it's probably one of the greatest probably the greatest football team college football team ever i'm gonna have to go with the 2019 lsu tigers taking on the clemson tigers damn it you completely i really wanted that one (laughs) yeah that you you knew that you know what's coming you know i love joey b hey there was talent on both sides of the ball in that game oh yeah no yeah it, it was not quite the star-studded teams uh, in that matchup, especially when we look at you know how they're performing in the NFL. <laughs> yeah, I mean LSU alone has what five starters in the NFL, like big-time starters. I mean Joey B, Jamar Chase, uh, Justin Jefferson, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is still the starting running back at Kansas City, I believe. Yeah. Uh, Oh, I guess that's all from that. But I mean, there's course, a couple of guys on defense as well um, yeah. that are playing significant playing time. But yeah, that 
that team was insane. And then, you know, for Clemson, you know, Travis Etienne, uh, Trevor Lawrence, those two guys are both starters for the same team. Um, and a number of other guys from those teams as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I just – that's still one of my most favorite. That I love to go back to that season and just watch some of their games because Joe Burrow and his receivers were on a different level. Yeah. All right. Well, my th- second pick is probably going to surprise you. It okay. is – the 2014 National Championship game, the first college football playoff game. Thumbs Ohio back. State beats Oregon 42-20. to 20. And I know, you know, you like to throw some hate at the Big 12, but the two teams in this game were very good. And TCU deserved to be in over Ohio State. I still stick that to this day. <laughs> TCU would have gone all the way if they would have put him in. Okay, well, they didn't. And this <laughs> game was absolutely insane. Like, just across the board, Ohio State had some solid players. And, like, it didn't even show because, like, some of the guys didn't even start. But you had Michael Thomas, uh, wide receiver, Ezekiel Elliott running back, Cardale Jones, dude, Colt 45 at yeah. quarterback, dude. And then on defense, Joey Bosa, Eli Apple, Von Bell. Like, these are guys that start in the NFL and really played amazing in this game. And then for Oregon, you know, obviously – Marcus Mariota was on that team, so it, it kind of carried them. But a couple of other guys, DeForest Buckner, Eric Armstead, some guys that really, as well, are NFL starters. Yeah, I mean, that, that, is, that is a very good game. I, I just hate to talk about it because still to this day, I believe TC deserved to be in over Ohio State. Fair. All right, Brock, who you got in the third round? Oh, this one's a tough one because there are two two I want to go for, but I got to go with the 2017 national champions, Alabama beating number three, Georgia, 26 to 23 in Atlanta. I mean, come on. That was one of the greatest college football national championships to watch. Came down to the wire. Alabama with a comeback, benching Jalen Hurts, bringing two attack of Alola for the two attack of Alola era. I mean, come on. Yeah, it, it was an amazing game. And, and like the storylines from that game, you know, Jalen Hurts, um, he ended up transferring after that season, right? Yeah, he, uh, no, I think he stuck around for one more year, then transferred. That's right. And like that, yeah, that game was legendary. And, and like um, Calvin Ridley, the game winning touchdown, it, it was an amazing roster and an amazing game to watch. I mean, there are so many players on both sides of the ball that are playing in the NFL and will be playing in the NFL for years on both sides of that ball that we can point out. But it was such a good game. And I'm not a Georgia fan, but, you know, we live in Georgia. And I remember the next day, everybody was so mad and upset. Because, I mean, it was storied. It was perfect. Georgia's won the undefeated, won the championship, bring it back to – Athens, it's in Atlanta, and Alabama said, not today. Yeah, it was a ridiculous game, but I don't know how this game has lasted on the board still. I hope it, you're not going to one I want. I, I, I probably am. It, it's the 2004, technically played in 2005, Texas versus USC in the Rose Bowl for the BCS National Championship. Like, that is the greatest game ever. 
Arguably. How can you not say it's the greatest game ever, dude? Matt Liner, Reggie Bush. Reggie Bush won the Heisman in that year. And then Vince Young. Dude, that te- those two teams were just ridiculous. And that game was insane. I know neither of us watched it. We were both two years old. Not even. <laughs> but still a ridiculous game. Yeah, I mean, it, it was quite insane. Because, I mean, like I said, I'm an old man. I like to go back and watch football games. and It's one of those every year when they're every year ESPN or uh, one of the uh, shows or one of the stations always plays Countdown to College Football, you know, that in August. And always one of those that come. It's all that's one of the games that always comes on. I always watch it. It is insane. And the ending of it as well is crazy. Yeah. And, and like the players on those teams that went to the NFL, like just, you know, 24 members of that 2005 team from Texas went on to play in the NFL. Some of those including, you know, Vince Young, Jamal Charles, Brian Arakpo, like some big names. Yeah, I, I, I yeah, that, that's a good one. I don't know. I like it. I'm kind of, to me, I'm kind of sticking to the recent years that like I can think of right off the top of my head. Yeah, that one just, you know, it, it sticks in my mind because, like you said, it, it's one that everybody loves to talk about. Every single year when the national championship's coming around, you're not going to be able to avoid people talking about Texas versus USC in 2006. Yeah, I mean, again, arguably, because I still think, I think that Georgia, Georgia-Alabama one has to be up there as well, the walk-off touchdown. I mean, there's, you can make a fight for any of them, but that is one of the greatest games of college football history. All right. Let's get your next pick, Brock. You know, there, there are several games I want to pick because there have been so many that are, that are just so good. I mean, but I, I, gotta, I think I'm going to have to stick with the ones in my most recent memory, and I got to go with the 2015 – uh, 2015 championship, uh, Alabama versus Clemson. Alabama wins 45 to 40. That's got to be my. Uh, that's got to be up there. That was also one heck of a game. If I recall cor- correctly, Clemson came up short in the very end. Alabama wins it. I mean, that was a great game. Yeah, it, it was ridiculous. And, and once again, like those rosters had some amazing players. OJ I mean, Howard for mm-hmm. Alabama, Eddie Jackson for Alabama, like uh Derrick Henry. Um all the they, all the running backs were on that roster, uh TY Hilton, Josh Jacobs, Derrick Henry, uh the list goes on. Calvin Ridley was there. Um was uh, was Armari Cooper there there or was that the year before? I, uh, I, mean, I think he was there the year before. Yeah, uh, there was uh, besides Cal- there was another one besides Calvin Ridley receiver wise, um, and Jalen Hurts was the quarterback. No, it was uh, Florida State transfer Jake Coker. Jake Coker, oh my god, I forgot about him. The the average man's high uh, quarterback. Yeah, yeah, dude. Oh, I completely forgot about him. Yeah, and then for Clemson. Deshaun Watson, Hunter Renfro, Wayne Gallman, uh, some some solid players. And then on defense, um, dude, that Alabama defense was stacked. What was that? They Clemson? had, yeah, the, the Clemson one was solid. But when you look at NFL players, 
Yeah. They had on Alabama, they had Jonathan Allen, Minka Fitzpatrick, Marlon Humphrey, Eddie Jackson. Like, it was ridiculous. I mean, and then let's talk about the Alabama coaching staff as well. They had Nick Saban as their head coach, Elaine Kiffin as the offensive coordinator, Kirby Smart as the defensive coordinator, Billy Naper was like the quarterback's coach. Um, holy crap. Uh, the one at Michigan State was a coach on the team. Mel as well. Tucker. Yeah. Oh, uh, there's, there's like seven coaches that were like just on that team that are now head coaches and at other FBS programs. Yeah. Oh, and, and I'm looking through some more of the players that were just reserves in this game. Um, Bo Scarborough, that's a name that I haven't heard in a while. He was a beast. Yeah. And then also Kenyon Drake, uh, who's a, you know, a solid NFL running back for the Ravens right now. There was so much talent in this game. It is insane to me. It, those middle-year Alabama teams, like from, from like 2014 to like 2020 when they uh, a lot of the big – I mean, obviously there's still more there, but till like uh, Tua's class graduated with uh, Jalen Waddell and uh, all of Devontae Smith and all of them. Those were some of the craziest though that was probably the most talented roster ever in the history of college football those years at Alabama. Yeah, up until that LSU team um yeah, this yeah. was the most insane roster that we had seen especially you know when we go like 5 years down the line to um see how successful the players in that game have been in the NFL. Yeah, that game Again, very close game. I believe, like I said, Clemson came up short and Alabama ended up winning it. That's I. I that's a game I was. I thought you were going for that when you were pulling up the Texas Longhorns and uh, University of Southern California. I thought you were going there. Uh, or I thought you were coming to my my next pick. And I was like, uh oh. <laughs> All right. Well, this is my second to last pick, and this is a game that I just genuinely enjoyed watching. Um. Last year's national championship, 2021, Georgia beats Alabama 33-18. to And, you know, for me, this game was just, like, iconic. You know, Georgia, the first win since, what was it, like, 1986, right? Is that yeah, the correct 80, uh, But no, maybe uh, 82, maybe. Yeah, I, I can't quite remember how long the drought was, but a, a long-ass time for a team that's been a mainstay in college football. And they just did it, man. They came in at number three after they had just lost to Alabama in the SEC championship. They win the semifinal game. They go in and everybody's like, oh, well, Alabama's just going to beat them again. And they didn't. And, and there were so many huge players on that Georgia team and the Alabama team for that. Uh, you know, we saw, you know, the Heisman. Bryce Young was in that game, a guy that's going to be the number one pick this year. And, you know, multiple, multiple, Will Anderson was in that game, the the leading tackler in the, like, history of college football in a season. Georgia had Jordan Davis, Lewis Seen, N'Kobe Dean, Keely Ringo, who's come back this year and still done amazing things. He's going to be a first-rounder. Like, that, those rosters were stacked. Yeah, it is, it is crazy to see that you pointed out this 
looking where they were in college and then seeing where they are in the NFL now, the, just how insanely talented, especially these national championships we've been pointing out, how insanely talented those players were and now are in the NFL. Like, it is so crazy to think we were we are lucky enough that we were able to watch these games live. Yeah. All right, Brock, your final pick. What is your number five? This one's kind of tough because I really want to go with Nick Saban's first title at Alabama to start his Alabama dynasty. But that Auburn and Oregon game the next year, the 2011 BCS championship, was also a really good game. But I think I'm going to have to go with just because of everything that comes after it, I have to go with Alabama. The Alabama-Texas 2010 championship. Just because it is what set in motion everything to come with Nick Saban and this Alabama team for all these other games. And this championship alone, I believe, set the course of college football history, completely changed the course of college football history from this from Nick Saban winning the winning this first national championship. Yeah, it, it was groundbreaking. And, and like this is kind of the first year that I remember like the matchup in the championship game. You know, I was only six years old. Um but like like I remember it being a huge deal. Like Alabama versus Texas. This is the last time that Texas made a championship game and the first time they had made one since two thousand five it was truly like a huge matchup because Alabama, yeah, they they had been good. They weren't great um, in the years leading up to it, and you know they burst on the scene with Nick Saban, and all of a sudden a, a dynasty is in the making. Yeah, Alabama, uh, you know Bear Bryant retires in uh, what was it, the seventies, right? Yep. Retires. They go through two. They go through a handful of coaches in this time period. A couple of them win titles. A couple of them, you know, win SEC championships. Nothing too crazy. They're looking for the next guy. They're looking for the next Bear Bryant is what they're looking for. Someone who's going to bring them and keep them in a national prominence. And this title solidifies Nick Saban as that. And I think that's something we we forget that like we kind of forget about. Don't get me wrong, Nick Saban was always a great coach wherever he went. I mean, LSU, he was there for what three seasons, four seasons, and he has a title to prove. And like I believe he went to had a couple of title defenses as well when he was at LSU. I yeah. mean, so he was a good coach the whole time. But I think the national championship at Alabama is even bigger because it does start in motion him and his transition as the goat yeah it it really like laid the groundwork and once again another game that had some insanely good players in it um for texas guys like colt mccoy uh he played at the end of this game after uh garrett gilbert a guy who has played a couple of nfl games not many um played like shit but um and then Marquise Goodwin for Texas had a solid game. One of the guys that I'm not a huge fan of for ESPN, Greg McElroy, um, he was the quarterback for Alabama in this game. He didn't do anything 
because you had Mark Ingram and Trent Richardson that combined for like 220 yards and you had Julio Jones in this game. Like it was a, an insane matchup. Uh, Marcel Darius uh, was on the, uh, the Crimson Tide of that one. Like it was crazy. Yeah. And something else I want to point out, which people tend to forget the year before this, I believe Alabama went like seven and five, eight and four, something like that. Just a good year. And they had a bad loss to a small school like Troy or ULM or someone like that. And this was Nick Saban's first recruiting class at Alabama, all of this. And in one year, the year before to this next year, he went undefeated and won the national championship. And again, this just, again, solidified him. And everyone being holy crap in one year, look what he's able to do with one recruiting class. And then that's how everyone started going to Alabama saying, wow, look at this guy. Look at what he can do. I mean, he had the resume, but then he had the proof. Yeah, it, it was quite the, the, you know, the start. And like we've you know said multiple times now, it, it started, uh, you know, an unstoppable dynasty. But um it's the final pick now, and look, there's so many games to choose from here, and I really don't know which one to pick. There's a lot of just absolute classics. When I'm looking down at all of these games, <sighs> I think I'm going to take 2012 Alabama versus Notre Dame. All right. Only because Manti Teo played in that game. And that was when all of the Manti Teo stuff came out. Yeah. Like, there, <laughs> the news wasn't that game. The news was all Manti Teo and his fake girlfriend. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, Alabama just stomped him 42-14. Notre Dame shouldn't have been the number one team in the nation in the AP poll. That was stupid. But that... That game just sticks in my mind only because of the news that came from it. Yeah. I mean, that is still one of the craziest things to ever happen, I think, outside of football to a football player. Yeah, it, it's it's ridiculous. And I'm trying to pull up, you know, some of the guys that were in that game because I, I do remember. Yeah, so Amari Cooper, um, A.J. McCarron at quarterback, Eddie Lacy was the running back. You had C.J. Mosley on the defense, Ha Ha Clinton Dix on the defense. Uh-huh. Um, Theo Riddick played in this game. Um, Mike Golick Jr., uh, a guy that you know is uh, a mainstay on uh, ESPN. Zach Martin, uh, a Pro Bowl uh, offensive lineman. Uh, Tyler Eifert, a guy who was a solid tight end in the league. A lot of dudes on these teams, and then obviously Manti Teo. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, again, to point out what you said, it was a basically a curb stomp from Alabama to Notre Dame, but it's all the other things that went into this game. Yeah, uh, obviously. That'll do it for the draft. All right, now we'll get into Stake Your Claim just to end off the show. I'm going to go first. Once again, I'm coming back at you, Brock, with another Florida State football take. Okay. Jordan Travis is going to be a Heisman finalist next year. You know, I honestly can see that. He had one heck of a season this year, 
And if he continues on this path, especially with uh, Florida State taking in a couple, uh, I believe tight, two tight end transfers who are highly touted uh, coming in and having some receivers there too that are very good, I think he's got a very good uh, possibility of it. Yeah, and, and like as an FSU fan, I'm so high on this team. Like I haven't seen success in a while, and you know this was a successful year. And, and there's so much to look forward to with this team. And I think that Jordan Travis is kind of the start of, you know, the excitement with this team. He's what makes this team so fun to watch. He led this. He led FBS in PFF QB rating this season. He's the only player this year to have 400 yards and 50 rushing yards in a bowl game this season. Like, the kid is impressive. And we're keeping a majority of the core. Uh, we're bringing in transfers as well. Look, Trey Benson's staying. Michael Pittman's staying. I believe Johnny Wilson's staying. Like, there is a lot going on in Tallahassee, and it all starts with Jordan Travis. Yeah, that's a, that's a very... I like I could honestly go to the uh, you know go to the dang Vegas right now and place money on I I would one hundred percent conceive myself doing that because he is going to be one of the best players in the nation next year, especially if he has a season like he did this year, and he's another one at quarterback. He appears to be very confident when he's in the game, especially with his team. He appears to have a lot of faith in his team, and his team has a lot of faith in him. And he's going to get done what needs to get done. Yeah. All right, Brock. Let's hear yours. Man, I've been thinking a lot on this one. There, there are so many things I want to say that could be outrageous and terribly wrong. But I think, I think next year, 2023 20, college football season, I believe we will see LSU go back to the SEC championship. And I think we're going to have three teams, SEC teams in the national, or sorry, in the playoffs next year with them being as followed Georgia, LSU and Alabama. Wow. Yeah. Outrageous, right? That that is, that's wild. And the thing is, is like at a certain point this year, we talked about there being three teams. And, and I think it's kind of crazy that you're leaving out Tennessee because I think Tennessee should be in that conversation too. I do too, but here's the issue we run into. Wait, Alabama and Tennessee play each other every year, don't they? Yep. Okay. Where's Tennessee playing Alabama at the this upcoming season? It will be... In Tuscaloosa. In Tuscaloosa. I think Tennessee... Well, they're gonna re. They're uh, bringing back a lot more plays in Alabama. Alabama's missing are gonna be missing the arguably the two best players in college football right now. Will uh, Will Anderson Jr. and Bryce Young. But I don't think that is going to affect this Nick Saban as much. Um, I think Tennessee Alabama is going to have a classic Alabama bounce back year and have one loss. To that, to being uh, LSU, and LSU is going to go to the championship, and it's going to be Georgia. Hmm. I think it's going to be Georgia undefeated. Actually, no, I take that back. 
LSU undefeated, Georgia one loss in the championship to LSU, and Alabama one loss to LSU. Wow. And Tennessee two losses to Georgia and um, Tennessee. Or sorry, Georgia and Alabama. Do you know if Tennessee might play LSU? I'm not sure how the schedule stacks up. Uh, well, I'd have to look at the schedules again. But I think – but I could also see – it being Georgia, LSU, and Tennessee. I believe it's going to be one of those four teams will – three of those four teams will make it into the playoffs. Yeah. Uh, I can't will, disagree. That's the thing. All of those teams have huge upsides. It's just like – Oh, wait. No, is it we... next year a 12-team playoff? No. No, that starts okay. uh, the year after next. Okay, I was about to say, well, if it's 12 team, then we'll have a I was about to say, that's not much of a hot take. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I I think that it's hard to disagree because, yeah, all four of those teams really have tremendous upsides. I think LSU is probably the most outlandish pick, but I could see it happening. They, they look really good. The thing that stands in their way is the you know the same two teams that made it in this year is Ohio State and Michigan. Yeah, and so I think what is going to happen up there? That's going to be the issue. And I think Ohio State. I don't know if they're going to be able to come back as well with uh, losing C.J. Stroud and their top receivers. Man, they have a lot of good talent, but something we were kind of pointing out earlier. To me, they haven't really been getting their younger talent in there as much. I think what's what they're going to be lucky with is that their top two receivers from this season, you know, outside of uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba, who didn't really play, it, are, are returning. Marvin Harrison Jr. and uh, Emeka Ogbuka are both returning for Ohio State. So I think that they have a chance, but, like, I couldn't even tell you who's going to be the quarterback because, I, you know, uh, two years ago I had said it was going to be Quinn Ewers, but... He's at Texas now. I don't know who their backup quarterback is. You, I mean, C.J. Stroud, I mean, as much as I hate on Ohio State, I cannot hate on this kid's talent. He has a lot of talent, is one of the best quarterbacks in the nation right now, the second best quarterback in the nation. That's a lot to you, – you can't ask someone to fill those shoes, especially a young freshman most likely. And don't forget, Michigan – there's a lot of rumors of Harbaugh might be taking an NFL job. Yeah, he was talking to the Panthers this week. So, Michigan loses their head coach. Ohio State does not uh, regenerate, does have quite a year. And then you just got to look at it at this point. Would you rather have a team that that uh, with that uh, one loss looks better? Like, you know, like it gets into the whole situation, which we'll get into you know next year when it comes to this time, but uh, I, I think that's a crazy take, but bare minimum two SEC teams are going to be in the playoffs again next year. Mark my words. All right. Hey, another thing to look out for is USC. Ah, forget about them, yeah. <laughs> See, that's the thing. Is there so many teams to count out? Like, you can't count out USC. You can't count out Michigan. You can't count out Ohio State. And, you know, we just don't know. You can't even count out Texas. Who knows? Maybe Texas well, that's is back. Why- that bullshit. <laughs> Never say that again. Um, but that's why I I really support the expanded playoffs because, like you said, there are so many teams we can count out just because, you know, one loss. 
And, you know, there are some teams who have won losses, like, you know, in previous years, like, or undefeated teams like Notre Dame, who then they get into the playoffs and they get murdered 45 to zero. So, you know, it's always a toss up there. So, I, 100%, this is why I support the expansion of the playoffs. Yeah. Uh, I, I like the take, honestly, because, like I said, I can't disagree with any of those teams. But um, I think that'll do it for us today. Um, I will be back with Luke on Friday's episode. Uh, once again, uh, our prayers and thoughts go out to uh, the family of Damar Hamlin. Um, hopefully we hear more about him um, in the next couple of days, and hopefully we get some good news. Brock, anything else? No, not that I can think of, man. Just I uh, can't wait for this national championship on Monday, and, uh, you know, go SEC. All right. Well, then we will catch you all later. Peace. Peace.